0: me a go-no-go no, go for launch.
1: Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was going to say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history.
2: We are go for launch.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us for episode 189. We are recording this on sunday september 4th 2022 at about 3 15 p.m pacific time i'm terry we've got todd we've got zach we just finished the almost sideways fantasy football draft 12 teams it was a random order it wasn't based on standings or anything like that there's no keepers zach had the first pick i had the second pick todd had the last pick what did you guys think? How, how did it go for you?
3: Well, I was in a predicament. My name this year is right past the Buffalo. Thank you. Shout out to you Yahoo for finally making team names longer than 10 freaking characters. Okay. I got the whole, t- I've been wanting to name my team that since 2006 at least. And uh, so I, of course, had to go with a Buffalo player number one. Now, here was my quandary. Do I go with Stefan Diggs, who's projected to go in the first round, or do I go with Josh Allen, more iconic he may not go for a while, but if I don't get Josh Allen, I'm not a am not a true Buffalo team. OK, I'm 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 a fraud. OK, I'm a piece of excrement on a on a toilet Smush. paper uh, going out to sea. So I went with Josh Allen. And then who's the asshole that took Stefan Diggs right from under me? But Todd ruined my whole strategy, man. Why don't you?
2: Ruined my dress. Right? Well, you took two quarterbacks. I
1: don't know what
3: I don't know what you were doing. Okay, so well, that okay. Then I need to explain that. So, well, and, and, and if, if Todd Diggs, if Todd
1: wasn't going to take if Todd wasn't going to take digs, I had to lure you, him. You were going to get him. Bait. He exactly. was twelve picks away from you.
3: I had to lure him with the second best. Well, he's the best quarterback, but the second best fantasy quarterback, which is Patrick Mahomes. And then Todd f- that up too because he already has a quarterback in Joe Burrow. Todd just ruined the whole draft. Todd was the LVP.
2: You should have you should have drafted been, Buffalo's defense.
3: Do you still want um, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes? I'll, I'll give him to you for Stefan Diggs.
2: I I took, make I, took a, I took Burrow in like the fourth round. Like I was not. <laughs> I don't need a quarterback. And then um, and
0: then
3: and then Terry's wife took Buffalo defense. Otherwise, my my team is sufficiently Buffalo.
2: Okay, I have a question. Okay, so I met Adam for a beer like a couple hours ago, and. Uh, I was like, he's like, yeah, I would be in that league, but I just don't know enough about football. And I'm like, dude, we have the Sunken Place. Like, I mean, <laughs> well, the Sunken Place they're, has they're been they're has they're been replaced. Right. It has. I, I noticed. That. I don't know who that disbanded. person
1: is. It's it's a guy from my softball team. Shout out to Nick. How's it going, Nick?
2: Okay. Well, either way, we. He, have the sunken but by the way, place he's got no a senior. great
1: he's got a great uh, a great team name. Forgot about Ramondre.
2: It
1: was a good name, but like I
2: was yeah. saying, hey, like uh, the uh, the Sunken Place never. Showed up for the draft. Maybe once or twice.
3: She just wasn't in the
2: the draft. She was there, though. Did not touch their team the entire year. Someone wouldn't finish in last. Like, I mean, this is not a tough league. I think (laughs) the problem is to be in this league next year. The sunken yes, place beat,
3: beat you every year for some reason. Inexplicably. Yeah.
2: I have uh, I a very bad was, track record against the sunken place.
3: Right. I mean it was it was comical. It was kind of like, you know I fall through
2: the floor every damn time.
3: Nebraska versus FCS teams. It just it it was it was always uh an upset every year. And and the sunken Place wouldn't even set their lineup. So
1: well, I, well I, we did don't know what we that do that have a you. we do have a delinquent uh another delinquent team potentially that uh if they uh if they don't do much this year, then they'll they'll be uh, removed. But uh, yeah, so so Zach's Zach's team name is right past the Buffalo. Todd, as always, is the the
2: Boucher Bombers. The Boucher which I've Bombers. have had since like the year two
1: thousand. And yeah, and I, did, Terry, I I didn't get your name. You got I'm zero six zero and null your rates.
3: Where what is that from?
1: Just just some housekeeping things for you. I need you to roll right to zero six zero and know your rates. Rolling right to zero, six, zero. Oh,
3: you should have given your oxygen tanks a stir. That yeah, one I, I would have got. With 30 See, characters, went... you could have pulled that shit. <laughs> Give your oxygen tanks a stir. I,
1: I, I went a little more obscure. Again, yeah, that I'm is as no degenerate as it gets,
2: those <laughs> those references. Uh, I mean, Kalyra
1: was a good one last year. that—that like that was a good, good. name. And uh, what, what was mine last year? I i just changed it the, oh three hours um, three hours by the checklist, by the checklist. By
3: the that was pretty good
1: <laughs> that was a good one i i thought about going uh we were a go on those numbers because i thought that'd be a good a good fantasy football name but yeah and then you give yourself the second pick it was random it was random i i meant to go through it was suspicious. and it was we're going those numbers yeah i got the
2: second pick we're going on those numbers
1: I meant to I meant to go through and and order it by how we did last year, which meant I would have had the second to last pick, but I didn't get to it uh, soon enough before the draft.
3: Did Sunken Place finish above you? <laughs> no, no, I finished second. Oh, oh you were second, as so I would have pick. gotten the second
1: to last pick. Um, right finish now it that. says the best draft went to the Bear Jew, which is Todd's friend Josh. Yeah, because he took Lamar from me. Yeah, we'll see. I. My team, I don't know what I think about my team. I, I had a gift given to me when Zach took Josh Allen that I, um, Jonathan Taylor fell into my lap. So I'll take that. Um, I ended up with an uncomfortable amount of Denver Broncos. Like, mm-hmm. Russell Wilson's my quarterback. I've got, I took a flyer on KJ Hamler in the last round. I've got, uh, Al- Albert o- O'Quinn... Oqu- Oqu- Oh oh Gwenaba oh oh gonna be getting some touchdowns from Russell Wilson at tight end. Um the guy from Mizzou.
3: Tight end so much.
1: Yeah, he, he yeah. Yeah.
3: Great, great he, job, Terry. Nice going all in on a six and eleven team. I like it.
1: Yeah, yeah. The one guy I I, I had to I had to get him back because one of the guys who who led me to uh to my second place finish last year, Amon Ross St. Brown. I get that's the one I got uh, returner from my last my last team.
2: It's the first year in, like, six years I haven't had DeAndre Hopkins and I was going to draft him Mm -hmm. in, like, the eighth round and somebody took him randomly in, like, the middle of the round. (laughs) He's, like, not even on the draft board because he's hurt. Or, you know, because he's suspended. Yeah.
3: Amon Ross St. Brown is the only player, only person I've ever met with a period in their name. Um, Just like Honk for Jesus is the only movie I've ever seen with a period in its name. And as two. (laughs) Does it? Oh, I thought it was just the one. Interesting. Oh, well, uh, uh, too. Oliver Stone's W, I believe, has a period at the end of so it. Does so does adaptation. Great, yeah, that's, that's 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 true as well. Great day for periods. Not great those day.
1: periods. It's a period piece, <laughs> or a two-period piece. All right. Anyways, we're not talking oh.
3: about menstruation. We are re- talking about my best friend's wedding for two hours, though, so maybe it's. not We too will long. be.
1: We will be. So let's stop talking about fantasy football and get to some movies. Zach, what is the uh, what is the wine you are currently partaking in?
3: Well, I'm just I'm enjoying the last little bits because that draft was so freaking long. My God, I mean, uh, you know, the it was an hour. Of the seventh round. Who am I gonna pick? The third tight end on Dallas or the fourth uh, running back on Cleveland? Jeez, I'm drinking Porto Six. From uh, Trader Joe's, which was recommended to me by a random lady who said, this shit's really good. And I have to agree with her. So shout out to that lady. I'm sure she's listening. Great recommendation.
1: Porto 6.
3: Better than Porto 5.
1: Shout out to that lady.
2: <laughs> Porto's 1 through 5
1: were complete failure. <laughs> exactly.
3: The 6-1, <six laughs> you know, it really <laughs> resuscitated the series. And it's okay if you're a little lost. You can still catch up. <laughs> You don't we need have high hopes for Preparation five. H.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is what you were quoting, isn't it? Yes, not? exactly. <laughs> we got we got a deep dive. Operation at some point. Ass Cream, you asked.
2: <laughs> All right, I'm drinking In Vino, which is a Cabernet Sauvignon from Bardolino, Italy. Uh, it's pretty good. I got a total wine. Um, it was on sale, and it's pretty good. A little dry, but tasty.
3: And Vino Veritas would be a great name for our podcast, except Terry doesn't drink wine.
1: But. No, I have a cider today, though. Went to the brewery. Shout out again, Ridge Walker. And so I went there and I'm like, I'm going to get a cider. And my wife is like, Ooh, I'd like some, too. So get the full growler, not the little growler. So I get there with my growler to fill up and they have a special this month of get pay for the growler fill up and we'll give you the growler for free. So I went and put my growler back in the car, got the free growler, so I got a free growler out of the deal too. But uh this is uh, a pomegranate cider.
0: Ooh,
3: and very so masculine. very masculine.
1: And uh it is um it is a 9.5% cider. So uh we're going to be having some fun by the end of this. It, it's like half wine, half cider. So
2: We should be drinking giant like airplane shots uh vodka like uh she was doing in that movie in the hotel yeah these were like four four shot airplane shots out of the right death by mini bar. yeah exactly the i minibar. was gonna also
3: suggest some jello shots much better than creme brulee shots but i don't know if those exist but
1: exactly yeah we could fig- we could that find a, a way. joke we could find a way <laughs> All right, well, uh, let's see here. What have we been watching this week? We're going to start with... We'll start with Zach.
3: All right, so last night, $3 National Cinema Day, bitches. Who who got onto that shit? I was so pumped to do this shameless plug by the film industry, by theater owners, to try to get us back to go to movies. But did you guys see the advertisement? They were advertising Spider-Man Far From Home, and they were advertising Minions, all these wonderful movies that literally no one saw when they came out three months ago. So uh, their best choice was to re-release Jaws in IMAX and 3D And as uh, faithful listeners of the podcast may know, I've never actually seen Jaws in its entirety. So last night, I went to the theater, went to the IMAX. I almost did the same,
1: but I didn't.
3: Well, you should be glad you didn't, Terry, because here's the thing: they didn't tell you about three dollar National Cinema Day. Is that it was the cinematic equivalent of ten cent beer night? Okay, (laughs) every single degenerate was at that theater. People were bringing in some liquor. I'm pretty sure someone was smoking. Um, it was basically $3 uh, babysitting for the night. And in the IMAX theater, shout out to AMC 28, it has to be the worst IMAX theater in the country because in the theater that I don't go to IMAX because I'm a cheap ass, okay? But this, So I guess in this IMAX theater, which really didn't look much like an IMAX theater, it was actually less comfortable than the one I normally go to, literally there is a switch in the back of the theater where when you turn it on, the whole theater lights go on, and it's very accessible to the teenagers running up and down the aisles. So every five minutes, the lights were literally going on and off. Okay, so that kind of was was that was a fun experience to deal with, uh, and we also had Bubba and Sally Mae next to me, and they were they were they were fun too. Anyway, Jaws. Jaws is a is a great movie. I mean, it's not the best movie ever made, like you know Quentin Tarantino believes it is, but it was really fascinating to watch. It was especially interesting to watch in the era of COVID because the first first hour of the movie literally is like the last two years we've been living. You know, everybody's like. Well, you know, do we really I mean, we're not going to die if we go in the pool, right? It's not going to be a big deal. And the, and the mayor of the town is all like, you know, we got to keep businesses open. The tourists come here. We got to keep the money flowing. The, you know, the, the uh, Roy Scheider doesn't know what to do. He's confused. All of the while, the shark does kill a few people, uh, particularly the old people. Uh, but, you know, it's a really interesting movie. I don't know if I would say it's my favorite Spielberg movie. It gets a little lengthy at times. All I kept thinking about um, while watching the dynamic between Richard Dreyfus and Oscar host Robert Shaw was this was the <laughs> setup for Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage in The Rock. This movie, the second half of the movie is The Rock with Roy Scheider there. Maybe he's like the, you know, the, the uh, you know, about uh the, the Womack character, but uh, I just wanted I want a recasting of The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. I can't happen since Sean Connery died, but that would have been tremendous. And that's who obviously would be recast in those roles. But it's a solid three star movie. I know it's, it, the, the whole experience ruined it. Obviously, it's a great movie. I wasn't prepared. It, the experience ruined the whole thing. But listen, it's you know, you could do a, a lot worse. But I would say let's never do National Cinema Day ever again. Just go to the movies, okay? Because that was a that was a joke. It was ten cent beer night at the
1: movie theater. I think they were making up for the fact that nothing came out this weekend. So well, there
3: was a movie called Honk for Jesus, which we will yeah. talk about soon. Because that was a blockbuster, right? So I I yeah. was I was
1: gonna do my double feature Friday night, but uh, I I had an overnight school function Thursday night and was too tired. And when I saw Honk for Jesus was also on Peacock, I decided to stay home. <laughs> Um, the yeah, Spider-Man: No Way Home won the box office
2: this weekend. Of course, it did. followed by Top Gun: Maverick. Of course, <laughs> to- of course, Top Gun: Maverick. <laughs> and Dragon
3: Ball Z, I'm sure that's on there somewhere.
2: Uh, uh, they finished in ninth place. DC oh, League Hank. of Super Pets was in third. Oh,
3: Hank! Yeah, the Legend of Hank. So now Jaws is no longer the number one most notable movie I've never seen. Uh, I don't really know quite what to say. I've never seen the movie Heather's. That might be on my list. Ooh. I've never seen the Elephant Man. I've never seen, seen that um, let me think. I mean, a lot of 80s movies. I've never yeah, seen I was say, there's a lot movie. of those Ferris Bueller
2: type movies that
3: you've never seen. Right. 80s especially is my is my blind spot. So I'll try to think of a couple that I'll probably watch and not understand and give two stars to. Pretty in Pink I've never seen. She wears Here's pink, the thing. She wears pink, Michael.
1: Spider-Man I No Way pink. Home made $6 million. But think about what that means if it was $3 movie day. That's up bad.
2: Lots of free babysitting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So All right. only only the the re-release movies were three dollars. I, I don't even know what you guys are talking about.
3: No, everything was three dollars. Uh, that was yesterday, what yesterday.
1: Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't know anything about that. I have the subscription, so everything's free anyway. So I didn't really right. Pay right, anything. it was
3: useless to people who have the Regal card, right? But. Mm-hmm. Which we're, is for... nice.
2: But it doesn't work for special screenings, so the Regal right right. it
3: didn't it didn't it doesn't work for like imax and stuff so that's why i went and saw the imax version of it with you know basically every homeless person in overland park kansas
1: nice all right it was a fun experience okay i'm gonna go next my oscar watch for the week was from 20 years ago 2002 it was a best foreign language film nominee from mexico Anybody have any idea? I honestly don't know if any of you have seen it. No clue. No clue. No. Todd, do you have any clue? Nothing. It oh, is the, called the, the Crime of Padre Amaro. The Crime of Padre Amaro. Oh, yeah, bitch. How do you like it? that? You like got that?
3: It. Thank you, Kirk. Exactly. Kirk Cousins. No one dropped at him, right?
1: I did. He's my backup quarterback. Oh, nice. Yeah. You like that, Terry? I like that. That's good. That's good. Uh, anyways, written by uh Vicente Laniero, based on a, a novel directed by Carlos Carrera. Not Correa, oh, like the like the uh, shortstop for the twins used to be the Astros, but uh yeah, and it, it stars Gail Garcia Bernal, which is which is the only real notable name in it, but uh yeah, this is uh a story about a um a fresh out of um, out of seminary, I guess you could say, monastery priest, played by Bernal, who goes to a small town in Mexico and uh, is dealing with political issues and um, how and it, one of the priests is working with one of the drug lords to help pay for some charitable uh, things going on. So he's dealing with you know how to how do you work with that. Plus, there is a a, a girl in the town that falls for him and he's kind of attracted to her and what do you do there and so it's this new priest trying to work his way through these these different things. Um for the most part the movie's kind of boring. Uh it does have I mean it it holds your interest but not a whole lot happens. It uh it has a pretty powerful ending and it's an ending that packs a punch. You kind of see it coming but it still is very effective. Um as, uh as something ends up happening with the girl let's just put it that way um yeah I'm gi- I'm giving it a a mild three stars because the ending does really work well and it was it was interesting gail Garcia Bernal is is amazing in everything he does and he really really gives a a, a stellar performance here as he as he does in everything uh yeah it, it's an interesting movie and as I was looking at it, it's kind of a controversial movie. Apparently when it came out, it was like the highest grossing Mexican movie at the Mexican box office of all time. But the Catholic church was like super against it and wanted to get it banned. Um, At the same time, it was based on a novel that was written in the 1870s. So if you think it was controversial when the movie was made in 2002, you should, I can't even imagine what happened when the novel was released in the 1870s. So yeah. Yeah. Three stars for the crime of Padre Amaro. It's on uh it's on Prime. So it, it's easy to find. Um but yeah, another solid Gail Garcia Bernal movie. And I there's kind of this theme of like, you know, church stuff in all the movies that I watched this week. So there we go. Well it's
3: funny you say it. I've never seen the movie. I'm familiar with it. I remember when it came out. But then two years later, he made another movie that the church tried to ban, which was Bad Education, the uh, Almodovar movie, which oh, yeah. I believe got slapped with an NC-17, probably because of pressure from the Catholic Church. And, you know, our good friend Jack Lenny is Catholic. But, uh, no, I, I never saw the movie, but I do remember it being nominated for, for the Best Foreign f- Film Oscar. The winner that year was Nowhere in Africa, which is in my top 100 list of all time. So uh, it got beat by a, a very deserving film.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen... I haven't seen Nowhere in Africa. So that must, that one must be coming really? up soon. Yeah. I, thought
3: I could have sworn I, I made, I signed that to you. No. It me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Dang. All right. Well, yay. We watch it this year. Yep. And it's coming up. It's coming to up. Thoughts.
1: It's coming up later this year. In fact, it's the last one from that year I haven't seen of the foreign nominees because I've seen Crime of pa- Father, Padre Amara, uh, The Man Without a Past I watched earlier this year, Hero I'd seen a long time ago, and then Zeus and Zoe. Which is probably my favorite of the of the four so far is Zeus and Zoe. Um, yeah, there we go.
3: I would God. think Zeus and Zoe would be the last film alph- alphabetically that you've ever seen.
1: It's possible. I'd have to. I'd have to check that.
3: I can't think of much. Maybe there's maybe Zizik. There's a movie called
1: Zyko, like in uh, its past oh, yeah. or something. Um, I'll 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 look at what's uh what's on the website here. Todd, what did you watch this week? Uh,
2: well, I didn't actually watch any movies of note. So, what I want to do want to talk about is uh, the series finale of Animal Kingdom was last Sunday night, and that was a lot. So, this show essentially took this Australian mob show or movie and put it in California, and essentially made sort of like Point Break out of it. But then after a couple of seasons, they realized that, like, wow, we have some really interesting characters. And so for the subsequent few seasons, they started to really dig into these characters and turn what was this, like, action show into something that was really grounded and, like, uh, and just really involving. And so they they saw how popular Better Call Saul was. And so they started, instead of making a spinoff show, they put those spinoff scenes as, like, parallel narratives with what's going on. in the uh the present timeline and you don't really know why they're doing that for like a couple of seasons until like a season and a half ago you start to realize like okay they're building towards something and you're starting to understand why these characters treat each other the way they do and what what's going on exactly and so this series finale comes up with like the most extreme job that they have ever pulled and but it, it is so much more than that it is an absolute just killer banger of an episode. And it's, and I mean, I'm still not okay. Cause like, it's the, this episode was devastating and it was, and it was just, it took everything that you knew before. And it almost does this thing where it takes like who you thought was the protagonist. It's no longer the story about Jay. This is like Pope's tragedy, which is something I ever expected, but it is so devastating. Cause like, when Better Call Saul's finale came up, I was like, okay, is, this is, like, really sad, but it's not tragic. But, like, the the finale of Animal Kingdom is, I mean, it is killer. And uh, it's something else. It was a great show, and nobody watched it. I don't know why, but it was on TNT. Uh, Animal Kingdom's a great show. And I, I recommend that everybody uh, goes and checks it out because, I mean, I, it, was a, it was a ride. And, and this last episode, it was called Foo Bar and uh, for good reason. It's a great
3: show. So it sounds like we really need an almost sideways sidecast of a deep dive of this show with Todd and some other person who's never seen it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we could do a sideshow of Animal Kingdom. Hey, I mean,
2: I've been trying to get people to watch this show for six years, so. (laughs) Apparently (laughs) they
0: didn't
3: listen to you either. I mean.
2: Well, six seasons—that's a—that's a good—that's a, good, a good run. I mean, I know a couple of people that watched it. I—I—I I, I got a couple of people to watch it, but that's about it. Like, the, I mean, the show essentially was lost because, like, Animal Kingdom wasn't even that big of a movie when it came out. So, when you're making an adaptation of that into a TV show with a bunch of people, when Sean Hattesey is the most notable person in it, or uh, or uh, Scott Speedman, those are—I mean, like, that's—it was never going to be a big deal. But it's on
1: TNT. All right. All right. Sounds good.
3: Maybe they just needed the star power of Oscar nominee Jackie Weaver. Maybe they, that's what was missing from it.
1: Well, Ellen
2: Barkin was that character, and she's really good, but, I mean, yeah, she's not Jackie Weaver, but she's like not exactly a draw either on television.
1: Have you guys watched any of the uh, the new Game of Thrones or the new Lord of the Rings show?
3: Hell no. Yeah, you know
1: the you know the answer to that, Terry. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's totally a leading question. (laughs) Well, well, I was just I was just wondering. I know Zach watched most of Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, but
3: I didn't seriously watch. I mean, it was it was background, and I watched it for for you know the naked scenes. That was about it. The debauchery, which is why I watched HBO's Rome too twenty years ago. It wasn't that dramatically different. All
1: right. Did you watch it? I am I've gotten through like, like want to say one and a half episodes. I fell asleep during the second one, but my wife is loving it, so we'll keep watching it. Yep, Excellent. that's all. That's all I had. We were talking okay. TV, so I thought I'd bring up TV. I did watch the first episode of The League of Their Own. Oh, nice! Um, and uh, I watched that a few weeks ago, and it was okay. It was okay. The it it feels like it up it it tried to update a little too much of the like dialogue and it didn't quite have the same tone as the original. So nah, eh, I might get back to it at some point, but all right, before we go to featured review, uh, the, the grades for our, our draft came out from Yahoo. You ready for this? Yes. Um, oh, for a draft from last week's podcast. No, 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 no. Oh no. I I, that, I don't think that ever got posted. I'll post that soon before, before next week though. Um, no, from our our fantasy football draft that we just did. Okay, uh, the I'm grades sure are out. Everybody
3: wants to hear this. Okay, I know the world is waiting. Uh,
1: my, my draft was given a D plus. Uh, it is the second worst draft, only to Zach, who got a D. <laughs> <laughs> I would take
3: uh, the, the Bills over the Broncos if I'm going all in on a team. But Todd at a, Yahoo disagrees. Todd's
1: at a B minus. Um, the Bear Jews at an A. The next closest one is at a B. Which is the wheels on the Gus go. And then is that for that, Gus Golden, Edwards? I think so. Golden Metcalf, Dylan Pickles, and Forgot About Ramondre are all at B's, and Boucher Bombers is a B minus.
3: Dylan Pickles. Is that a is that a player? AJ Dylan.
1: AJ Dylan. Oh, what Pickles. It for. oh then, I get and it. And Rugrats, Yeah.
3: I'm I, I over my head.
1: And i have got three C pluses, a C, a D plus, and a D. So Apparently, Zach, me and you are going to be horrible this year. But
3: well, hey, with no sunken place in the league, then Todd can maybe win a few extra games.
1: There we go. There
3: we, we already go. made that joke. All right, let's, let's move on. We got to get to good
1: stuff. Okay, we, got, we so do Christmas have to get to good morning,
3: stuff. This has been this has been Christmas Eve. I'm 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 ready. Let's go. Let's do. We Got
1: to get to good stuff, and for some reason, that means that we're moving on to honk for Jesus <laughs> save your soul. Turn, baby. Lee Curtis is a talent, a star. Oh
0: boy. Uh, we can edit around that, right? This is gonna chronicle the ultimate comeback. I'm Rocky up in this fight.
2: <clears throat> Rocky
1: didn't win,
0: but he did win in Rocky too.
1: Lord, baby, how many times I gotta tell you? Get past the first movie. That was all set up. Uh, <laughs> this is our featured review for the week. It was really the only major release this weekend. Uh, it was in theaters, and it's on Peacock right now, uh, starring Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown. Zach, we're going to you first. Before I review this, can I just ask
3: Todd a question? So, if Todd, if you really didn't know that this was $3 National Cinema Day, why did you think that Spider-Man was the number one movie? Like, how I did just that looked it up while you were talking. Oh, okay. Because I think that would have been very confusing to someone who didn't realize it was $3 National Cinema Day. Uh, but... You know, hi- history won't remember it fondly, uh, just like it won't remember Honk for Jesus fondly. Um, I listen, I don't have a whole lot of things to say about this movie, I'll, I'll, I'll go quickly. I just saw it this afternoon. It is a movie by uh Adamo Adama Abo, who apparently uh, made it uh, with her twin sister, who is a producer on it. They made it as a short film. of uh, I think four years ago, it stars uh, Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall as a married couple who run a uh, mega church in Atlanta, a Baptist church that apparently is uh, in, uh, involved in a big scandal and they've lost uh, a lot of their congregation to it and they're trying to kind of woo them back. The movie is uh, shot like a mockumentary um, and it kind of relies on like awkward sort of cringe humor that you see in shows like Schitt's Creek or The Office. Uh, the problem is it's just not very funny. You have two people who I think are very talented, and actually, it's a strange thing because you can actually see how talented they are. They're great performers. Uh, the, the material just never, never has a lift-off. Uh, the, the three weeks until the, it just—it doesn't work. Um, mockumentaries live and die; comedies live and die based on um, uh, the, the writing. And this movie had nothing funny. It, it had fertile, potentially fertile comic ground. Um, but it was just confused. It kind of wanted it, it, it really stretched out the comedy. It, it, I think it was trying to be really cringy. It felt like a student project. And, you know, if you're a teacher of film students like I am, you know, you, you sometimes watch these things and you're like, OK, well, the first rule of comedy is that it has to be paced well. Right. And it has to have good writing. This movie has neither of that. I don't want this director to give up. You know, I think like Adama Edo might might be a ta- might be a talented filmmaker. Um, I wanted to continue to pursue telling stories, uh, but this is just a mess all over. And I'm giving it a very generous one and a half stars.
1: Yeah, I'll go next. I'm giving it two stars, um, but I think a lot of the same as you do. I thought the performances were brilliant. I thought Sterling K. Brown and Regina Hall were amazing. It's just the material didn't warrant or didn't didn't deserve their performances. Uh, the, the first like 15, 20 minutes, which I have a feeling was a lot of the, the material for the, uh, for the short I thought was actually pretty good. It was pretty funny. It, it worked well. It was biting. It was, it was interesting. Uh, and then it just tried to do a little too much and go a few too many places that didn't necessarily work. Uh, I mean, the, like I said, the two of them were great, but doing uh, it, it just didn't didn't work. However, it was kind of interesting for the second week in a row to watch a Nicole Bahari movie, um, which Todd and I both did because she was one of the main characters in Breaking as well. Uh, so that was kind of cool to see. And uh, some guy named Confidance, which I thought was an interesting, an interesting name as well. But yeah, two stars from me. Todd, how about you
2: uh yeah i mean i I like this movie uh i really like the uh the christopher guest sort of Of feel that it had and i don't know i feel like that the the setting is really defined so the actors can't fully let loose there are moments but like i feel like they could have taken it even farther if they could but regina hall she plays it up like her monologue especially is like pretty affecting but um Sterling K. Brown is the believer one. He plays it straight, which I love. Like he's he thinks he's playing Dr. King. And I I think it works. I think he's like really good. And uh it, it makes the story sort of authentic and and involving. I I like how the actors play off each other. It makes it so, even though the vibe is sort of dry, it makes it so it's not really boring, but it's so specific. And it's hard to get on the same page as the humor. But when you do, I think it actually is pretty funny. And I don't think there's anything really like it out there, and it, it's a breath of flesh, fresh air. It's bit, one of the best movies like, we have reviewed on this podcast recently, and it, it's about like the deconstruction or the, the the destruction of someone's marriage, and also the deconstruction of that person's ideal ideologies and outlook. And if you look at it like that, and you and you, you take in like all the actual subtle humor, I, I think it's sort of a gem, and I'm giving it three stars.
3: First of all, this is funny because I feel like this is deja vu. This is our exact review of 3,000 Years of Misery last week, right? Like, it's the exact same shit. And the critics agree with Todd. Terry and I see, see the movie for what it is. Um, I agree with you for, for, for what you're saying, Todd. I think on paper, I, I guess, is also what I said about 3,000 Years, on paper, it sounds great. The execution sucks, though. There's nothing funny in this movie. It's it's pain it's painfully labored, right? There are sequences that just run on too long. The director's trying to do something here that I don't quite understand. Like they're they're blending in both the the uh, making of with some sort of like fictionalized semi-fictionalized like why like they changed the the aspect ratio a little bit in the movie and you can tell they're using different cameras mm, and exposures yep. and i don't i never i couldn't quite understand what the director was was doing and and if oh i like got that scenes, part well the scenes that were like more polished felt like they were like a fictional movie and uh they were the more dramatic scenes the only thing that I could think of was that maybe the director was trying to do some sort of um, lampooning of a Tyler Perry movie or something, which also tries to blend comedy with uh, extreme over-the-top melodrama. But I, it just went above my head, and I, I, it was perplexing to me watching that. And there was not a single smile or a single chuckle for me throughout this entire movie. So I'm glad you had a good experience of it. The critics did, but it was painful. The only reason I give it a half star over one star is that it, it was kind of short. It ended abruptly. I thought for sure there was going to be a, a scene at the end where, you know, there was some sort of reconciliation or something, but it just kind of ends because I it was a weird They didn't have anything more to say and the experience was over and we left the theater solemnly. And I will not remember this movie in three months.
1: Yeah. When the aspect ratio changes, that's when the documentary um, cameras are turned off
3: yeah, I mean, I get that. I just don't I don't yeah. I don't know what why the filmmaker what what the purpose of that was.
1: well, just to just to show this is the face they put on for the public and then the face they want the public to see. and here's the face that they actually are.
3: Okay, well, that went over my head. i I didn't perceive that it, it, because to me there there were also embarrassing things that happened on the the widescreen version, right? Things that were not very uh, I don't know, good for the church, but in terms of publicity. Sure. I didn't get it. It went over my head. I'm lost.
1: Yeah. Like I said, it's something that can be uh, a problem for these um, make the short and then turn them into a feature length film is they've got a great 15 minutes. Yes. But can they turn the 15 minutes into 90? Yes. And I think that's where that's where I think. Well,
3: that should have been fifteen minutes. The best movies, <laughs> like every based Marvel on a movie. Short. Oh <laughs> Okay. Or,
1: yeah. Well, and and even just like the best opening fifteen minutes of a movie. I mean that because I think that's that's what this has. Uh, Bad movies with great great first fifteen minutes. I don't
3: know. I I knew we were in for trouble in the first fifteen minutes.
1: I, no, I I, 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 I liked the, I liked how it started. I thought, like I said, I thought it had a really strong start. The comedy worked for the first fifteen, and then as they tried to expand it from there, because the first fifteen is just them and uh and i thought it worked a lot more than the rest of it i didn't necessarily love any of it but i thought the beginning worked. See, i never better. thought of,
2: about being a short film I, I thought that it was definitely a COVID movie like there are very few scenes with like You're right yeah more than 10 people and then most of them most of it's like very intimate
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm giving this movie one and a half stars, but I will say something about that I wouldn't say about a lot of most one and a half star movies, which is that I think this is a talented filmmaker and we know the cast is great. I would just like I would tell my student, don't get discouraged from making movies. I sound very patronizing when I say this, but like let's have funny people actually look at this script. Okay, let's have like Jordan Peele look at the script or produced it. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Well, okay. Apparently, he wasn't looking at the script. I thought Daniel Kaluuya was one of the producers, too. I don't know. It just, it, 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 okay. Here's who you need to look Have look at it. Quinta Brunson. Okay. Do you guys watch Abbott Elementary? That is a mockumentary sh- series that I think is frequently hilarious and is also well made and well acted. And this movie felt like it was trying to be Abbott Elementary or Shit's Creek. And it just, it, it totally missed. It was nowhere close to either of those.
2: No, oh, it was a Christopher Guest movie. This is exactly what a Christopher Guest movie feels like.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, those are those are had Christopher Guest DNA in them, but the, but Christopher Guest, I don't know. I mean, they, this movie was so slow, so painful, and I feel like the filmmaker was trying to make it cringy, um, but it just wasn't. It wasn't interesting. It, it, I think we get the joke, we get the uncomfortable silences, and it kind of killed the comic vibe.
1: Now, this, I believe, Todd, this was a Sundance hit this year, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was, it was bought by. Was it bought out of Sundance?
3: Because there was the the trailer Uh for uh, Tar. Did you guys see the trailer for Tar? Oh, my God. I I got chills watching that.
1: It's it's getting great reviews out of the film festivals, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's move on from this one. We got three stars from Todd, two stars from me, one and a half from Zach.
3: We did not. Let's just let's clarify in case there's any ambiguity, because there might be. Us three did not grow up in the black church, contrary to what you might think. So we are probably not the demographic that this movie is made for. Todd liked it, but Terry and I are, are, are definitely not the demographic. So I'm sure there are people out there who, who like this movie and can respond to it. And I can understand that. And I think that's valid just to be
1: clear. Well, and I think that's there is hope. something, yes, I sorry. mean, Todd and I did grow up in the church and I think there, there is something I, I, I saw some things I could connect with simply from that, but, but Yes. Good, uh good disclaimer there. It's in the it's in theaters now. Probably won't be for very long, considering it it was a crappy um, box office and it didn't even make the top six. Um, mm. Did it make the top ten, Todd? I didn't even look. I'm um, looking it up.
2: They finished in 14th place with 1.4 million. 1.4.
1: Well, we should- and that's one of the day only and- three million away from number one. So you want to look at it up like but that? That's 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 one of the things with it being the day and day on Peacock, too. I mean, those that were going to see this movie saw it on Peacock. And I think I think the theaters knew that they didn't have anything this week. And that's why they did Cinema Week this week.
3: Are we sure that Focus Features knows the title of this movie? Because if you look at the poster, the title looks like Honk for Jesus and Save Your Soul looks like the tagline. And and I think that would have helped the movie. If those things, this is not live, die, repeat. Edge of Tomorrow.
2: Yeah, Honk for Jesus is is a very more succinct and interesting title.
3: It's a great title for a short film, not for a feature length film. And it was only like, one that's, scene in the movie. That's too, a that. title of like, a an Oscar winning short. Yeah, it's, an, it's it's like the best live action short from twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it has to be Honk for Jesus, save your soul. Like it's got to be. Well no, see that that's more that's like the a documentary, documentary right. winner, right. like 2009.
3: Something <laughs> that went like straight, straight to HBO, but as a short.
1: Oh well, wasn't it, wasn't it like two years ago that the live action short winner was uh Love is a traffic jam on the four oh five or something like that? Yeah, no. there was a there was a
2: YouTube movie.
1: Yeah, like that that it seems like those more go to just the interesting title than whatever is actually going on in the movie. Anyways, let's move on. I'm 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 done talking about this movie. Let's go, because uh, we got a deep dive today, and our deep dive is chosen by Zach, and this is celebrating the 25th anniversary of my best friend's wedding. He was in love with me every day for nine years. Me? I can see why. Look,
3: she has known him for what? Five seconds? I can't lose him, George. I'm a busy girl. I've got four days to break up a wedding and steal the bride's feather.
0: Oh. <laughs>
3: She knows
1: how to, she you know, knows I've never to, had a sister All I've heard is, is Julianne this and Julianne that Michael and I were a wrong fit right from the start He said that too So, we're starting with some trivia here Todd is hosting uh, Okay, so I was going to start with Zach
2: Because Terry's probably like a minus 120 favorite to win this But I'll start with wow. Terry, just out of respect for
1: Zach Okay. Out of respect, alright, Zach's going to unplug or mute right. or whatever he's gonna do. He's going away. He's gone. Uh so I watched this movie on
2: Wednesday. I'm not sure what these questions are, so I don't have a point totally yet. Um I two, watched this movie three, for the
1: first four, time last night. So five,
2: six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Uh twelve points on I don't know, eight questions, I guess. Okay. Okay, question number one. Uh this movie is directed by PJ Hogan. What does PJ stand for? Uh Paul John. That is correct. What? <laughs> <laughs> he took the right the right P and the J was probably up.
1: That's amazing.
2: Okay. Uh where did Jules
1: go to college? Jules went to oh crap. Um Oh oh uh uh Northwestern?
2: It was brown.
1: Brown. She says that other... when she's talking about
2: her, her fling with... Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. One like, of the other uh,
2: journalism schools. Uh, what is the name on Julianne's tan pajamas? I think this is I... it for Zach. I have no <laughs> idea. This red. Okay. Okay. Uh, what injury did Kimmy's
1: original maid of honor have? I, uh, I... Concussion. There's a shattered pelvis. Shattered pelvis. Yeah, I forgot that one.
2: How many White Sox cups was Jules carrying when she um, met the group at the game? Eight? Uh, There were 11. I guess I'll make that like a who's closer. Because, I mean, it's not clear. I actually had to pause it to see. So so, uh, name the other four movies that were reviewed with my best friend's wedding on Siskel and Ebert. One of which Terry mentioned last week as a potential six through ten Best Picture nominee, and one we deep dove as a predecessor of.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. One I mentioned last week as a potential Hercules. That's correct. And then we deep dove one of them. I'm gonna go no, we deep dive a predecessor
2: of one of them
1: oh a predecessor of one of them so that means a sequel came out in 97 and was with this oh was that was that deep dive this year no no okay but we have we have we have deep Dive in it oh well, yeah no the
2: sequel came out this year so the the predecessor wouldn't have been this
1: year. Right, right, right. It's not Matrix Two and Three or something. Right. No. What, what I'm saying is, did we deep dive it this calendar year?
2: No, because it was not a twenty-fifth anniversary, anniversary of that movie this year. Sure. No. Okay, but it no. could
1: have been. It could have been like a thirtieth or something. Oh, I see what you mean. Um. Five, four, three, two.
2: Uh, Batman and Robin. Okay, because we deep dove Batman, Batman
1: forever. forever. Yep. Gosh, dang it!
2: What two desserts does Jules compare the couple to, which we mentioned earlier? Crème brûlée and Jello. Well, those are correct, and the one that is for Terry also. Uh, the Oscar-winning writer of this movie has the same name as a primary character in which of the of which movie that we have previously done a deep dive of? And I'll give you another point. Or I, I guess I, I'll give you a point and a half to name the
1: name the writer too, you know, I guess. I I forget who the writer is. Okay, so you're not going to come up with it. No. Uh, the writer,
2: his name is Ron Bass, which of course is Ronnie uh, Bass. He's the writer of, uh, yeah, of Rain Man.
1: Sunshine! So, uh,
2: Remember the Titans is the movie. you got four sunshine. points, and uh, we are the going to Zach. That'll be interesting to see how he does <laughs> with that. Okay. All right. He's not going uh, to up with that. He's not going to up with that last one. I think 12 uh points. Um Terry got four, maybe five depending on what you say saying in <laughs> one of them. All right. Um okay, number 1, uh PJ Hogan directed this. What does PJ stand for?
3: Well, it's not Paul Hogan, the the star of uh, the Subaru commercials in Crocodile Dundee. So I'm going to go with Philip James.
2: It's wrong. It's Paul
1: John. Believe well, it or not, Paul. that was one of my four points. Complete right. random so what, guess. So it's not
3: Paul Hogan. Are we sure about that conspiracy theory?
2: <laughs> That's probably why he goes by PJ. I mean, he's
3: from Australia, <laughs> made Muriel's wedding. Okay. Maybe it's Paul from the Up Series. That could also be an interesting thing. He lived in Australia.
2: Uh, okay, where does Jules go to college?
3: Brown. That's now, correct. She's wearing a brown shirt. I, we're not totally sure about that, but okay.
2: Speaking of, what is the name that is on Jules' Red. tan pajamas? Red. Red is correct. What injury uh, did Kimmy's former maid of honor have?
3: Pole dancing and Abilene. Uh, bro- broke her hip.
1: I mean... Sort of. I'll give you a half point.
3: It's a shattered pelvis. Shattered pelvis. Dang that's it.
1: A- mm. Pelvis is a hip. Yeah. There we go. Broken. I mean, that's not what they say, though. But that's what it
2: is.
3: <laughs> All except a half point. I, I'm disappointed. I should have got that full answer. I'm kind of disappointed too. The number of times I've seen this movie, <laughs> I should have got <gotten> that.
2: <laughs> it's a it's a pretty extreme like way you say it. I shattered my pelvis sounds way worse than I broke my hip. Um, how many white socks cups was Jules carrying? oh uh six gets another point i get another point, I, get another point. What the hell? I, mean.
1: I said eight i thought it was two why do you beat me on carriers. these goddamn movies terry <laughs> oh you're gonna beat me you're gonna get the rest of them and i'm gonna and no I'm... no actually
2: terry's gonna win this okay uh name one of the <laughs> w- other eight minus one actually no name one of the other of four movies that were reviewed with my best friend's wedding on Siskel and Ebert, oh, okay. which, one of which was a movie Terry mentioned last week as a potential six through ten best picture nominee, and another one we did a deep dive of its predecessor,
3: Batman and Robin. That's correct. I saw I saw that came out the same weekend, and I, I did recently we rewatched the Siskel and Ebert episode in the last two weeks. Um Batman and Robin. Was it the one about the girl? It was a one-word title about a girl in New York City. Yeah, yeah, F- yeah. I, I uh, it's like. I, I mean, I think they gave it's it a one-word out. title with the
2: girl's name, but. Uh, yeah, what is it?
3: Uh, that one's uh, Ponette. No, then I didn't see it. Okay, Ponette. No, I, I've actually seen that movie. That's a that's a French movie. Okay, I I don't know. Batman Robin. I'll take. I'll take. That uh, the other ones
2: are for Rosanna, and the one Terry mentioned last week was Hercules.
3: For Rosanna? That, I, I got Hercules. So, is that the Mike Figgis movie, Todd? For Rosanna?
2: That's not Mike Figgis. Oh, well, then what's for Rosanna? I don't
1: know. I'm saying okay. Hercules is
2: what Terry uh, mentioned. All right. For You're, Rosanna? Is that is like getting, the number figure. four?
1: or Very
2: degenerate. Quickly. Oh, it's a. Uh, Movie with uh, Jean Renault and Mercedes. Oh yeah, that's right.
3: Okay, different movie. Okay, never mind. I've been on a Siskel and Ebert nineteen ninety seven binge again. I should have gotten more than just that. You're right. Terry's going to beat me.
2: Um. Okay. Well, I know what two desserts did Jules creme brulee and, and
3: jello. He didn't get that,
2: did he? He did
3: because you okay. said it earlier in the podcast, so you actually win. Nice. Went, well, I just, you I'm five points. Shooting, shooting myself in the foot.
1: Okay. Uh, so the question Michael that in I would have I would have gotten the creme brulee and jello regardless. <laughs> Okay,
2: the Oscar-winning writer of this movie has the same name as a primary character in which movie that we previously did a deep dive of. Well, it's Ron Bass. So, okay.
3: Ron is a character, you're saying, in a movie? No, that we've Ron
2: Bass, Bass is a character. Ron Bass main, is a character. Uh, one of the main characters in a movie that we did a
1: deep dive of. As soon what? as he... I, I didn't know the name of the writer. As soon as he told me the name of the writer, I knew the char- I knew the movie and the character.
3: Uh, the one with uh, Giovanni Ribisi and Ben Affleck?
1: No, it's not. It is. Remember the Titans, of course. Nah. Quarterback Ronnie, Ronnie Bass. Bass. Ronnie Bass, quarterback.
2: Sunshine.
0: God Sunshine.
2: So Zach wins five and a half to five. He had to sweep that one out.
3: Wow. That those are terrible won. questions. Thanks to I'm Batman sorry. and Robin. That was the only reason I got that. But Terry got Hercules.
2: Those were terrible questions. And I got. And, and I got. How many Paul of those questions? John.
3: How many of those questions were actually about the movie? And there are so many three, things four, in this movie
1: that five, five
2: questions, but five,
1: over half of wow. them.
3: All right, whatever.
1: All right. Well, Zach, you are a big fan of this movie, obviously. Tell yeah. us all about your experience with it and what it's about.
3: Yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of this movie. Uh, I would say the way that uh, Patton Oswald is to the Giants and that wide receiver, I am to this movie. And um, listen, uh, I've loved this movie for 25 years. I think I saw it in a theater, maybe, maybe not. I certainly saw it shortly afterwards. And listen, on this podcast, we review a lot of creme brulees honk for jesus was not one of them but you know like sound of metal definitely was and uh animalisa definitely was according to todd we need some jellos every once in a while on this great deep dive segment and uh we've had a couple jellos with red jag and and uh, donnie brasco so why not have another jello from 1997 with the great my best friend's wedding now listen as i get older and older uh I love this movie. I think it's actually a genius movie. It's a four star movie. I actually think it's incredibly well directed, well shot. And if I'm getting drunk on a Friday night like Jules in her hotel room, Death by Minibar, there's only two freaking movies I'm putting on at this point in my life. One of them is High Fidelity and the other is this movie. What does that say? I mean, I need a better life. Maybe I don't know. But I could probably recite uh, – I can recite long stretches from this movie. Um, I've been waiting to do this deep dive for for a really long time. Um, I have a lot of theories about this movie, and I certainly have theories about why you guys haven't seen it. Maybe I don't I, – maybe it's just more curiosity why you haven't seen it. But this has to be on the Mount Rushmore chick flicks. It has to be on the Mount Rushmore of movies all white women love, just by definition. And uh, I'm surprised it wasn't prominently featured in white woman Instagram, Bo Burnham. I mean, this is, this is a movie that is universally lauded and celebrated. And uh, I'm guilty as charged, by the way, another lover of this movie is Adam. We've been texting about this movie for a while now. I don't know why he's not on this episode. Shout out to Adam. I I hear you, man. This is a great movie. Adam gives it four stars too, by the way.
1: So I watched this movie for the first time last night And yeah, I don't know why I hadn't seen it. I feel like this is—we were not aficionados of '90s chick flicks in our house. Would would you say that, Todd? Like, no. I mean, the parentals were not big movie buffs in any way. Yeah, they didn't watch. Yeah,
2: I mean, this thing—this is a movie that our mom watched a lot, but it's not one (laughs) that—that was probably later on. I think that was more Trisha.
1: Probably, yeah. I but yeah, I'd never seen it, so I watched it last night, and I totally get the nostalgia of if you had seen this twenty five years ago. Like I have those movies too, right? where I, I I I feel like the a movie is a masterpiece or at least is something that is a guilty pleasure of mine that I will constantly go back to. Um, watching it now. It's just another corny 90s rom-com. I gave it two and a half stars. It's fine. I prefer Notting Hill uh, over my best friend's wedding uh, if I'm going with the Julia Roberts 90s rom-com. But, uh, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's a Julia Roberts rom-com from the late 90s. It's exactly what you expect it to be. So, I I don't think it was groundbreaking in any way. But I I totally get the nostalgia behind movies like this. Because I'll throw movies out there too that, and we might deep dive one in two weeks. That uh, that I'm just like this is like the best movie ever, and you guys are gonna be like, you're so stupid. This is not a great movie, but it's we it's one. Man, Terry. We might. I, I haven't decided. That that's one of the options on the table, though.
3: Well, I want to take issue with your claim that this movie is not groundbreaking. Okay, because it definitely is groundbreaking. First of all. Name of chick flick that came out before this movie where the protagonist is a psychopathic maniac who you do not root for by the end of this movie. Okay. Name a movie. That's a ridiculous (laughs) answer. Name a movie prior to my best friend's wedding where you hated Julia Roberts, where you were thinking what a calculating manipulative person selfishly Ruining the experience of getting married for all these 500, you know, rich people in, in Chicago on their four day weekend. Right. Name a movie before this movie that had hilarious songs that people sang. Also, here's a, here's a serious one. Name a movie that had a gay character that wasn't played out for laughs, but who was still a hilarious character. Right. What did you say? Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy. Well, it was the same year. Did this movie come out before Chasing Amy? That's 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 actually an interesting movie. point. You know, it like the scene where you go to Rupert Everett. He's not at some you know gay bar with uh, the uh, the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Goodwill Hunting music, right? He's uh, he's just a normal character. That's kind of subversively groundbreaking for the 1990s, I think. Um, I think this movie, and and then they don't end up together. Spoiler alert! Where's a chick flick where they don't end up together? This movie, I think. Subverted. Well, but is Chasing Amy a chick flick? I don't know. If oh, I would... well, well, I mean, it's a
2: romantic comedy. It sounds like
3: that's what we're deep diving in four weeks. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, and I'm a fan of Chasing Amy, too, by the way. But uh, I would just say I, I take cl- I take claim to the, the fact that this is just another chick flick. I think this is very different. From almost any movie that Julia Roberts did, maybe you know, pre pre-Aaron Brockovich. I mean, obviously, in her later career, she's changed directions a little bit. This is nothing like Mystic Pizza, nothing like Pretty Woman, nothing like the typical while we were while you were sleeping, Meg Ryan, Sandra Bullock type of movie from the 90s. This movie is dangerous. I am a dangerous person. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just love it too much.
1: I mean, this might be her first like true like rom-com where she's the center of everything like that but it started a trend where she did this over and over and over again after this Uh, it worked you go with the things that work terry just like you know picking russell wilson apparently
3: uh, she, she was on a really bad streak she was coming off mary riley okay does anyone know mary riley remember that shit she was coming off of michael not michael clayton michael collins Another movie that no one saw. This movie resurrected her career, and rightfully so because she's great in it. It's the it's the archetypal Julia Roberts movie that's also subversive.
1: It's the Parent Trap Wedding
3: Edition. Oh, that's 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 not fair and that's disingenuous. But
1: as she's also making like the exact same movie this year with George Clooney. I know I was going to no. say
3: that. So so that trailer <laughs> did. That's good on us. I was not aware of that movie until I saw the trailer for it last night and but see here's the thing so we obviously should have done this podcast when that movie comes out but here's the the two things that's an advantage number one we're ahead right just like jeremy iron says in in margin call you got to be smarter you got to cheat or you got to be first and we are first in this instance so no one else is putting out content about my best friend's wedding so we're first and we're smarter and we cheat but uh second of all uh, do you actually want to see that movie because i certainly don't so it it saves us from having to experience that
1: my best friend's wedding too no i don't really want to see it
3: yes with George Clooney, not uh, Dermot Mulroney.
1: With, with George Clooney, however, Caitlin Deaver is
3: plays the daughter, right? I mean, and she's and marri- She's not marrying Evan Hansen. It's kind of strange. <laughs> I'm sure there's singing in it, though awkward singing.
1: Uh, Todd, what are your Todd's thoughts on this thoughts. one? Yes, let's hear. Uh,
2: okay, well, this is a movie that I feel like I have consumed a lot of because, yeah, my sister loves this movie. Like she watched it. His- all the time i've seen parts of it a lot and i think i may have seen it all the way through one time so watching it this week was interesting it was sort of piecing a lot of things together i i do enjoy watching it i'm not sure if it's actually good but it is it is definitely enjoyable to watch and i don't i've never seen notting hill i'm not really a julia roberts fan like i've I've probably seen less movies of hers than most like of the major actresses of the last you know 30 years but (laughs) The movie is fun and i do think it's interesting that she is a sociopath and i don't know i wanted more scenes with rupert Everett. like i think that he uh he had he, his character is really funny and he plays it in a way that's so nonchalant that it makes it uh something that you just want to you you want more of i mean the, the, it's one of those classic supporting roles and uh i don't know it's a it's a, it's decent. I'm on the verge of like two and a half and three stars. I don't know. I think I think I had it at three stars when I didn't know if I'd actually watched it or not. But I, I guess I'll keep it there. So, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> it, it brought up an interesting thing because we don't do a lot of romantic comedies on our podcast. So, mm-hmm.
1: yes, it's, a, it's, it's a, a blind spot. I'm yeah. not against romantic comedies though. I I don't know. I I think the only reason this one works in any way is because the psychopathic bitch is played by Julia Roberts. Like, I think that's the only way reason this movie works in any way, is that when when it comes down to it, you can't help but love Julia Roberts, so you continue to root for her.
3: But there, there are many reasons this movie works, but you've touched on something which is very important, which is that Julia Roberts is compelling. You understand why she feels the way she does. But on the other hand, you also understand how sociopathic she is and how maniacal she is and manipulative. And I think this movie is brilliant in showing both sides of that equation, right? I think we sometimes get lost in the, in the you know, if I'm being, uh, you know, uh, macho uh, toxic here. there's some frilly parts of this movie for sure, right It's a female centered movie. there's kind of some goofy you know she falls out of the elevator we get that kind of overplayed for laughs. but this is actually a really good psychological drama and I don't think it's that far removed from being like a great psycho psychological thriller that could have been an Oscar movie, right but this movie is a comedy and it has musical numbers and it has you know great supporting performances but I think you guys are missing it. Like, I think secretly this movie is really subversive, transgressive, and it's also just highly rewatchable. Like, you could put this movie on any time. It's like, it's the way you guys feel about Friends. I I never got into Friends, but like, you could put on Friends any time of day. I think you could put on this movie any time of day, any part of the movie, get into it, and yet it's also really well made, which I think is a a real rarity in movies.
1: Yeah, and, and I can totally see that if it's a movie that you've grown up with. (laughs) like i think i I think that 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 play and like you said friends i mean i've been i've been watching friends since i was 10 well then can we get trisha on this goddamn podcast okay we need some (laughs) love for this movie nebraska
2: i told her that she would be on
1: this podcast yeah, she's she's in. We should have done now. this
3: podcast with Trisha and Adam. You guys, you guys are like those Muppets that sit in the back row and critique movies. Come on, just love this movie, okay? Who's pre- who's the pretend, one that put like, like complicated in their top Everett, five of that year of and has
1: gotten crap for it ever since? I mean. Oh, I'm up for neat? a great round, I'm my top
3: five in that in that year for sure. It's
1: complicated? No. Oh, I, no. I said, <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I, I'm the one that put no, it's complicated that.
3: in my top five of
1: the year that, although, a year and I've gotten crap for spot. it
3: ever since. I have a soft spot. We all have a soft spot for that movie too. But th- this movie does not fe- prominently feature a kitchen redesign by Steve Martin. So maybe there's <laughs> – <laughs> maybe that's what's helping. Uh... It. Or Alec Baldwin's bare ass. We definitely don't need that
1: all right well let's uh let's we're gonna talk about a lot of stuff with this movie but first let's uh let's look at our um our mount rushmore here and we had we had several options to go with and i think we finally settled on a mount rushmore of julia roberts that's what we're doing um do we want to try and do a consensus before or do we want to save it for the end Save it, save it. If there's consensus, it
2: you be Aaron Brockovich, I think.
1: Right?
2: Uh, that's pretty, not what I was going to say. Or Pretty Woman. I think yeah, those, That's some. Yeah, that,
1: that, yeah. But all right, let's just see how we'll this wait. goes. Uh, well, let's let's start with Zach. Uh, I'm going to go with this movie. Yeah. Um,
3: but I will. I do want to say something about what Terry said earlier. I am a huge Julia Roberts fan. I've seen a lot of her movies. In fact, probably all of them. Um, Maybe, maybe not some of them. Well, some of the more obscure ones. Um, I've not seen some of the series that she's been a part of. Um, But uh, I like Gaslit. I actually really wanted to watch that um, where she played Martha Mitchell. But I love Julia Roberts. I'm a huge fan. Watch Julia Roberts on the David Letterman show. That to me is nostalgia. When she was on, she was one of Dave's best guests. They had a great, great will they, won't they chemistry. You know, it was like Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. It was a little flirtatious. Uh, I think she was on the on it for 26 times and she was on his last week as well. Anyway, I've loved Julia Roberts. I have some on-roll mentions. Should I mention them now or kind of wait? i save them. Okay, I'll save them because she's great in a lot of movies. Hard to find a bad performance in there, quite honestly. All
1: right. Well, I'll go next and my pick is Pretty Woman. Uh, I actually just great saw point. this movie for the first time recently. Uh, Because I went to the Broadway show of it here when it uh, toured through town. And I mean, it it makes perfect sense why it's as iconic as it is, because it is if there has ever been a star turning role, it's Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman like that is just like charisma oozing off the screen from her and um, to she is the definition of an it girl, in that movie and uh and it it's perfect like the the musical did okay it was okay but the main problem with it was the main character wasn't julia roberts and it's one of those movies that can't work unless you have that at the center at the core so uh pretty woman's my pick great
3: pick great pick in a movie we should have deep dove two years ago
1: well we can get get to it again in a little while
2: uh, so she has one movie on my top 100. Is my number 50 movie of all time, and it is closer. Yeah, nice. Obviously, the one that I had to choose. She, she honestly is like the third best person in that cast, which just shows how great that movie is. But like, she still is great. She. There, there are very few people that actually could play a role quite like that because she she's uh she's the normal one but she's also i don't know she has the eye i don't know There's something about i don't know i'm obsessed with that movie she, she's great in it and uh, it has to be on her mount rushmore
3: yeah i mean i don't i don't i don't think it's one of her four best performances or movies but i can absolutely understand that pick and she's excellent in that movie in a movie that i think is kind of it's kind of a tricky role because she has she plays a little bit older older than Natalie Portman. And it's a it's a very sexual performance, but without showing any nudity. And I think she completely sheds that sort of it's it's about as far away from pretty woman in terms of that character as you could get, which I think shows that quietly she has a really great range that I think is very underrated about her.
1: Yeah, it's a good pick. I don't remember much about that movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I think I only saw it the one time when it first came out, but it's a good pick.
3: Her and Clive Owen, man, that, that should have been the modern day Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? They th- that could have been amazing. Wasted
2: just that right. cast in general. Well, didn't didn't they make that movie what Duplicity?
1: Wasn't that them?
3: Yes, one of the few bad Julia Roberts movies. Oh yeah. Along with Oceans Twelve. I'm glad we didn't mention that.
1: Duplicity, I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm it's sorry. what's his name, Gilroy?
3: yeah yeah tony, tony Goer, got it right
1: here and tom wilkinson and paul giamatti that's why i was gonna say i thought paul giamatti was in that movie okay um
3: he's also in so this movie you guys does that noticed.
1: so consensus aaron brockovich then her oscar win
3: i think so i think it has to be right yep which, I mean, listen, at, at when I met you guys, you know, I think when we started talking about the Oscars, I probably bitched about, oh, you know, Julie Roberts beating Laura Linney and, and Ellen Burstyn. She's great in Aaron Brockovich. I don't really have a lot of severe problems with her winning the Oscar. It was a nice speech. It was a great outfit that she had. Uh, it was a great moment for the Oscars. Except yeah, Laura really, Linney should have won uh, well, yeah, but I mean, I don't have a problem with it. You know, it's not like uh, you know, crash-winning best picture or something.
1: Aaron Brockovich really shows all of what Julia Roberts brings to the table. Absolutely, like how she can how she can have those dramatic moments, how she can be just one of those one of those eye magnets on screen, and just her how she oozes charisma and sex appeal on screen. And at the same time has has those moments where she has those biting comments. I mean, it's it's the perfect like amalgamation of everything Julia Roberts can do.
3: Absolutely. Okay. Can I make my? I can't honestly go with this film, but I really want to. Yeah. Ben is back. Recent I wrote that movie, down. Recent movie. She's absolutely phenomenal in that movie. Um, I only watched it, I think, within the last year or two. I think I watched it during COVID. And wow, she is amazing. Uh, And that's a pretty good movie, too. I wouldn't say it's a perfect movie. It's not like on the level of smashed or something like that. But it is a really powerful movie about addiction. And uh, it's kind of told from uh, the mother's perspective. It's kind of like what Beautiful Boy tried to be with Steve Carell and Timothy, but failed to be. Ben is Back is a solid movie. And she is kind of amazing in it. It's, I think it's. she should have been nominated for an Oscar for it.
2: Well, it does get lost because Beautiful Boy was pretty much the same movie. And they came out really Inferiorly,
3: around the same time. But yeah, kind of the same thing, yeah.
1: So a couple ones I want to shout out. I Like I said, I like Notting Hill more than My Best Friend's Wedding. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I do really like that one. Uh, and then, so Todd mentioned the movies that were kind of always on, or a movie that... This was always kind of always on for him. Three Julia Roberts movies I remember always being on as a kid, and I think I've seen them all all the way through, but it has been a long time, and I need to revisit them, were uh, Steel Magnolias, Sleeping with the Enemy, and The Pelican Brief. Like, those three movies, I think I I've, I can say I've seen enough of them to say that I've seen them, but I remember very little, and I need to revisit them. I know all three very different movies, too.
3: I know all three of those movies intimately. I think I'm just a huge Julia Roberts fan. And she's amazing in all three of them. I, rem- I remember Pelican
1: but, Brief was really compelling.
3: Well, and that's when when Denzel won the Oscar. It was be- Julia Roberts announced that he won the Oscar. And it was because of the friendship they had on that film set, which was just wonderful. It's yeah. kind of sad that they don't make movies together anymore because they obviously had a great offset chemistry as well. Steel Magnolias is kind of the first movie that, that she makes an impact on, gets an Oscar nomination for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I, I, I remember, I vividly remember scenes in that movie.
3: I watched within the last couple of years as well for the first time Mystic Pizza, which I think is a great movie. And she's great in it too. She kind of plays a badass and she's a little bit like they haven't told her to lose weight, the, the toxic producers yet. So she, you know, she looks a little bigger, which is great. She looks really voluptuous in the movie. And her performance is she's, you know, this kind of badass. She no holds barred, sort of disobedient, really great performance. And she doesn't even look Portuguese. So uh, it's, you know, and I'm not even Armenian, but uh, she, she's great in that. I can't really think of a bad movie she's ever been in. Even Pret a Porter, the Robert Altman movie, which is universally panned. She's actually good in that movie. Her and Tim Robbins have some good scenes in that movie. Um, I'm ashamed to admit, but stepmom, she's obviously tremendous in she's tremendous in the player, she's tremendous in everything. There's not a bad movie on that on that on that resume. Except for duplicity, maybe, but that's not her fault.
1: Larry Crown? I haven't seen Oh, Larry Crown. Crown's pretty bad. That's pretty bad, but but it's not her fault. August Osage County. That's
3: pretty bad too, not her fault though. Okay. Well, it kind of is her fault. She was kind of no, bad in us she was uh, she i thought she was not not deserving of an oscar nomination but the american
1: remake of secret in their eyes never saw it neither did i
3: how about the uh youtube covid reading of fast times at ridgemont high where she played stacy i see that on the on the list here do you remember okay are you guys familiar with that what was hilarious about it is that brad pitt was on it and he played the character of brad And Jennifer Aniston was on it and was like, so, Brad, are we going to go to the dance or whatever she says? That was that was wonderful to watch. And that was the only thing I was obsessed with for a week during COVID.
1: I saw I saw uh, I think it was today. I saw someone tweeted out this little nugget that uh, the cast of Friends right now is are all now older than any of the Golden Girls were in the first season. Wow. Well, Julia Roberts is is like 50, 55, I think. I mean, that's that's crazy.
2: Yeah, because she was I thirty when Friends was one of came Julia out. Roberts' best
3: things. What did you say, Todd? I wrote down Friends as one of Julia
2: Roberts' best things.
3: Oh, I never saw her on Friends.
1: Oh yeah, she that was a memorable couple episodes she had. Um, what what was her, what was her name? I'm trying to remember.
2: I don't remember what her name was, but she was the one that...
1: Uh, was it Debbie? Debbie Underpants? Debbie Underpants, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys I ever see Chandler. her on... Did you ever see her on late we night talk her. shows? She's a great I, interview I, guest. Susie. Susie Underpants. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I've seen some of them.
3: I, I, very very charismatic. Did you ever yeah. see her in Sally Field on the Jimmy Kimmel Swear Off? She was hilarious no. on that. <laughs> Watch that. That was a great YouTube clip. But... Yes, I love Julia Roberts un- un- unabashedly. I don't know if this is really her best performance, but it's my favorite Julia Roberts movie for sure.
1: I, I, she's easy to love. I'll put it that way.
3: Lots All of right. men in Hollywood would agree with with you, like Kiefer Sutherland and Lyle Lovett and mm-hmm. uh, Matthew Perry. I mean, she was romantically involved with him too, and Benjamin Bratt, and
1: yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our recasting now. If my best friend's wedding were to come out today, who would play these characters? All right, we're gonna start with Julianne. We're gonna start with Julia Roberts. Todd, who would play who would play Jules?
2: Uh so the the way that she portrays like the sort of upbeat stuff and the awkwardness. I, I only thought of one person, and she kind of had a similar-ish role uh, recently. It's uh, Kristen Stewart. Mm, I, mean, I think she would an awesome. great pick. Julianne. Wow. I had never
3: thought. She- well, first of all, she's a little older, right, than 28. That might be an issue, but not significant. I don't know how she
1: is. Well, Julia Roberts was 30 when this came out.
3: Right. That's Kristen a- Stewart is 32 that's a great call todd i she never occurred to me but that is kind of amazing because kristen stewart can quietly play physical comedy pretty well too that is not bad okay i'm impressed
1: all right well my pick i i think i kind of went with the low-hanging fruit i went with jennifer lawrence um i think she's too old well she's she's right around the same what 31 32
3: uh, maybe she's just been around
1: forever she's been around forever that's really that's what it is um but it, it would which Julie roberts had been around forever too what mystic pizza came out in 88 yeah so she was in her 10th year of working um Julie Ro- or uh jennifer lawrence i don't know Oscar I, 10 years ago
3: i just thought it was, that was low-hanging fruit i mean her her name it occurred was. to me too it was just but, so easy
1: but I, I mean, you think Julia Roberts late 90s, you think like the biggest movie star actress out there. And so who's going to be able to pull off a rom-com with the kind of star power of Julia Roberts? Jennifer Lawrence was the only one that I could think of. Kristen Stewart's not bad. Yeah. what but I what think I also, Jennifer Lawrence is the easy one.
3: What I also like about the Kristen Stewart is that Kristen Stewart is known for serious movies and really post Pretty Woman, that's all Julia Roberts made. And she went back to her roots with My Best Friend's Wedding. Now, Kristen Stewart isn't really known for comedies, but... I think she has a great range. And, uh, oh, it's, uh, it's kind so of
2: Copy of right Season is sort of that same kind of role, right? I mean, that's, that's from where I thought of her.
3: Yeah. I went with Zendaya. Uh, Zendaya's a little younger at this point, but Zendaya mm-hmm. does have curly hair. And I, I was going to say, it's hard to imagine a uh, a heroine leading woman who we like smoking. Uh, Zendaya would be one of the only actors I can think of, except for Kristen Stewart. That also very much makes sense within the Kristen Stewart brand uh, is smoking unhealthily. So uh, I got to hand it to you, Todd. That was, that was impressive.
1: Well, if we I don't believe they red... for
3: Lawrence as a smoker at all.
1: If we need curly red hair, then we should just cast Emma Stone.
3: No, she can't smoke. I think the curly hair is really <laughs> important though, because this is a movie about contrasts and Julianne is the exact opposite in every way to Kimmy. She's got red hair and curly hair. Uh, Cameron D has a short blonde hair. You know, blue eyes, brown eyes, tall, short. I think you, well, and that that will play into who we recast as Kimmy ultimately. But I think you have to have some major contrast.
1: All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, Michael O'Neill played by Dermot Mulroney. Not Dylan McDermott. Not Dylan McDermott. I made that mistake a few times. I had to, I had to, I, I have to say one of the, one of the funniest SNL sketches they've had in the last few years was they did a game show where they would show a picture they would say, okay, is this Dylan McDermott or Dermott Mulroney? Um, and then they actually had both of them walk out and no one could actually tell them apart. Anyways.
3: And of course, she she got married to Dylan McDermott in Steel Magnolias, by the way. So she's <laughs> she's had the Dylan
1: Dermott experience. There we go. Todd, who plays Michael?
2: I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not that difficult to figure out somebody to play. I said Tyler Hoechlin who is uh, sort of oh. that character in Palm Springs. He he has a, he's, he's a straight guy. or I mean, he, he plays a straight
1: man really well. And I, I it just seemed to fit. He also played Superman in the Supergirl TV show.
3: Good to know. All right.
1: All right. It's good. Uh, I went with uh, Tyler Hoechlin's, uh co-star in Everybody Wants Some, but he's more known right now as Hangman. I went with Glenn Powell. You always wow. cast Glenn Powell.
3: Yeah, there it is. Ding, I mean,
1: can't? Am I wrong? Yeah. Am I wrong? That's a horrible work. He would work so well. No, I mean, he's got no, the charisma. Like, I could, I could see Glenn Powell being a beat writer for a, for a <gasps> baseball team. The dog disagrees too. All right. Well, Zach, who do you well, have as Michael? Since mine is so horrible, it's
3: so hilarious, Terry. Because I thought when you were going in everybody wants some category, you were going to take my guy, which is none other than Blake Jenner. I mean, Blake Jenner is perfect as Michael. Like, here's what you need. You need tall. You need someone tall, good looking and, 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 and dumb. Right. And we know that Blake Jenner has a relationship with baseball. And Michael is a beat writer for sport magazine. And, uh, you know, you know, Glenn Powell has too much confidence. Uh, you know, you want to punch him. Uh, Blake Jenner is basically Dermot Mulroney in 1997. In fact, that's the recasting I'm most proud of. Um, some dumb guy who's going to be inarticulate and be like, hey, my, my, my fiance is a great singer. Let's have her stand up. Or, uh, you know, you never wore pink or, you know, just, just say dumb lines and act all coy and dumb. That's Blake Jenner. And he's perfect for the role.
1: The other one I was thinking, if I was going to go with someone else, I was thinking of Simu, Simu Liu, Changchi.
3: I thought about I thought about going with a gay male recasting of this movie, but that would take too much work, and I was just going to end up being the casting of Fire Island or the cast of Fire Island, so I decided to stay away from that.
1: All right, Kimmy, originally played by Cameron Diaz, would be who Todd?
2: Well, see, it's it's weird because like I was thinking, okay, Kimmy, she's the one that like is. Everybody loves her. She is really awkward, but she's bubbly, and but she's also—I don't know. She, she. There's something about her that it just everyone draw, is drawn to. And I said Zendaya. I think Zendaya is a perfect Kimmy, and, and that would be totally somebody that the that the Jules character would be uh, would be intimidated by because you can't top Zendaya's likability. And I would love to see her try to sing some bad karaoke. Wouldn't that be just hilarious?
3: Yes. <laughs> I mean, I have respect for Todd's cast, although I don't know the guy from Palm Springs. I'd have to look at him. That's a different movie, though. And I respect a filmmaker who would want to take the movie in a different direction. But Kristen Stewart and Zendaya, we're talking totally different planet here. I would watch it, though. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on board. It's, it's, inter- it's not at all the direction I went, but I, I kind of like it. I don't I know. Like, you really see Zendaya pushing a cart and wearing that, you know, cardigan thing? And I, I don't, I don't know if I could see that though. I mean, but I think Zendaya has great, great range. So who knows?
1: I feel like there's a version of Todd's movie where, where Kristen Stewart and Zendaya end up together. Todd's movie, yeah, exactly. Todd feels like an Indian.
2: <laughs> I did, did
1: think if it was
2: a, if it was actually a gay wedding, and a, that's the Straight best friend who is like Shoot. the. I don't know. Jules I mean, and would...
3: Kimmy end up together in your version. <laughs> Just say
1: it. That's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, my pick for, for Kimmy, since I have Jennifer Lawrence as Jules, who's the blonde, you can't have the blonde as Kimmy. They've got to right. be the opposite. So my Kimmy is Haley Steinfeld. Mm.
2: Haley Steinfeld and, and Jennifer Lawrence. I would definitely...
1: <laughs> I mean, if you... you it was not the, the same dynamic as...
3: If it was made in 2013, then sure. I don't know about today. 2013,
1: she would have been 15. <laughs> was she well, that, that's i was that,
3: just saying that's when she was big. I, I think she's older than that, but uh, I don't
1: she's know. This, a, she's this, a Marvel girl now. This movie was the coming oh, she's out. She's a good Diaz. Oh, is she? she yeah, it? that's true. That's true. She actually, she, have, she actually. He's got music. a couple albums. Yeah.
3: Well, that disqualifies it right away.
1: All right, Zach.
3: I went with who I thought was obvious and Adam agreed with me uh, because he even suggested it was Florence Pugh. Um, Mm. Florence Pugh has has the the, the blonde hair. It's It's probably too easy. I agree. But it was actually suggested by my wife. And the moment she suggested, it, I can't get I can't get out of my head. So it is low hanging fruit, but it's there for a reason. And uh, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, she's kind of played that role before. Right. I mean, Kimmy is not too far removed from Amy and Little Women. And uh, the main character in uh, uh, Midsommar, she I guess. Really,
2: done comedy though.
3: Um, I guess that's true. I don't know. I...
1: She's funny in her Marvel stuff. By the yeah. way, there's a lot of interactions with uh, Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh in the Hawkeye show. Just throwing that. I out think there.
3: The, I think the whole 28 year olds thing is a little bit. Over... That that's something that we'll talk about. Things that didn't date well. I don't think 20, 28 in nineteen ninety seven may have meant something different. I think in the remake, the lesbian remake with Kirsten Stewart and Zendaya, they probably upped that age to like thirty eight, even though I don't think either of them are thirty eight.
1: All right, George, originally played by Rupert Everett, who I was I always confused Dermot Mulroney and Rupert Everett. I don't know why. Like I was like, sense. I kind of feel like the IMDb picture of Rupert Everett kind of looks like Dermot Mulroney but Dermot Mulroney does not look like Rupert Everett. I don't know. There's a group of guys that all kind of look the same. Anyways, like, just look at his picture on IMDb. You could, that looks like, it looks like Dermot Mulroney, but Dermot Mulroney's picture looks nothing like Rupert Everett. He does look like he should be Bond. Anyways, Todd. (laughs) I actually saw that he was going to be up for
2: Bond at one point, but, uh, I don't know, which made me think like, oh, there'd be a gay James Bond. Now I was thinking like, oh, maybe there'd be a gay my best friend's buddy, but I don't know. The last line spirit. in the
3: movie is Jane, Jane Bond.
2: Did you guys know that? I thought that was really oh, one of yeah. the trivia questions,
3: actually.
1: I did hear that.
2: All right, Tyler, uh, what you got? Yeah, so he was older, about 38 years old when he was in this, but uh, I guess it doesn't matter. He's like the publisher or whatever, uh editor. Um George comes in and he is just like that everything he says sounds cool he is really suave I said Michael B. Jordan would, would be George I don't think it needs to be a British person because he I, I don't even think it needs to be gay necessarily but even if he did like I think Michael B. Jordan would play this role really well and he would he would come in and he would be the center of attention at that wedding he would just be the really cool guy in the back in the background. I could see him talking about Dionne Warwick and starting and everybody singing and all that, you know.
3: Yeah. Michael B. Jordan? Yes. Okay. Okay. I mean, it goes with the vibe. Just out of curiosity, who directs your gay indie uh, 2022
1: remake?
3: <laughs> Sam Levinson?
1: The Duplass. Yeah, the Duplass. Yes. What's up, man? Good old Joe
2: Swanbird movie. Yes, there um. we go. I didn't. I
1: didn't think about that. But yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay. So I mean, yeah, Rupert Everett's a little older, but he doesn't really portray older. If we're going with a little older, I went with Matt Smith, but I don't know if that necessarily fits. Um. If we're if it's can be younger, I think since if if we're talking Florence Pugh, then let's just go full. Don't worry, darling, and put Harry Styles in this. Um. Another another Terry favorite for recastings, I think Will Poulter would be interesting in that role. Um, but I my my obvious choice and the one I wish I could go with would be a late 80s Hugh Laurie. I think would be yeah, a perfect George. Pretty
2: good. Yeah, I mean that's sort of the role he played back then.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that that's just that's just him. But uh yeah. One of those ones, whichever one sounds better, that's the one I'm going with.
3: All right. Well, the character of George for me is not too far removed from Jamie Dornan and Barb and Star kind of comes in there like a six man off the bench and just starts draining threes one after another. Has a great musical number involving coconuts and we just love him. And um, so Jamie Dornan would would be someone I would consider. I also thought about um, when you were talking, Terry, I, I thought about Bill Hader would, would, would make a great one. The one that I wrote down, though, was Benedict Cumberbatch. I think you need a serious trained English actor because that's what Rupert Everett was. I mean, he, he, he wasn't really in comedies up to that point. And I mean, come on, Ben to Cumberbatch again, coming off the bench, coming, coming into that movie and just owning it for a good 45 minute stretch like Rupert <laughs> Everett does would be awesome to watch.
2: Has he ever done that?
3: Exactly. No one, no, he, no, never. He's never been anything remotely funny, but neither had Rupert Everett. That's what we no, he pretty. ever owned a movie, like in a supporting role. Uh, I don't think so, certainly not August Osage County. Another
1: bad connection, (laughs) anybody
3: on that movie? (laughs) Uh, All right, yeah.
1: Last one we got here are Kimmy's cousins Samantha and Amanda Newhouse, played by Rachel Griffiths and Carrie Preston. As Zach said, basically the same character. Um, I don't know why we're recasting these, but we're going with it. Um Todd, who do you have?
2: Uh, so I went with a couple um, child actors that I thought I should, I wanted to see again, just because I mean, there's no replacing Arlene and Brenda from Alan Ball's shows, which these people, these actresses are. Uh, but I said uh, Kiki Palmer and Anna Sophia Robb. because it, it doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't seen uh, Anna
2: Sophia Robb in a long time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's one that hasn't been around much. Uh, I went with I went into full cameo mode, and I went with Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo. Oh, that's great. I went with Barb and Star. Just make Barb and Star the cousins. They're a little old. It's been ambitious. But... It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. That is true. It doesn't matter. They'd, and they're, they're and from, they'd write it. They'd they're write supposed it.
3: to be from the South, not the Midwest. That's a That's a
1: problem. They'd write it. They'd be the writers. Would, and they would, Re- this would, would Reba
3: McIntyre be the mother-in-law as Trish?
1: Oh, she'd have to. Oh, oh Trish. Yes, yes. I, I love the Barb I and could Star see, references. This I movie's could not Reba, too far
3: removed from Barb
1: and Star. Reba could be Glenn Powell's mother. I could see it. Well,
3: that wasn't a character in the movie, though. It was. It was Kimmy's mother.
1: Oh well, whatever.
3: You didn't understand that. You know the I, scenes I when she was talking I about get it. Now. Mother.
1: I see what you're saying. Never mind.
3: Papa Joe was in the movie. He was he was Michael's father.
1: Yes, yes. Go ahead. What, what do you got, Zach?
3: Uh, well, I, when you said full cameo mode, that's sort of what I was thinking. Um, I went with notorious celebrity lookalikes, Bryce Dallas Howard and Jessica Chastain, or Amy Adams and Isla Fisher, again, just for the novelty of it, uh, for no other reason than to actually have them in a movie together like fans have longed for for so many years.
1: Who would Nicolas Cage play?
3: Okay, I had a suggestion about the Nicolas Cage category. Uh, Can we, for this movie, change it from Nicolas Cage to who would Greg Kinnear play? Because this is a 1997 rom-com, and that's more of Greg Kinnear's territory. Go ahead. Uh, Well, Greg Kinnear could play any of the male roles in this movie, Um, but I think I would want to go with... um, God damn it, I don't know. Maybe, maybe George.
1: <laughs> that's what I was thinking too. He, he, could be, he could be George.
3: I didn't think about this. I wasn't I, mean, I wasn't prepared helps, to answer that question. It helps um, it
1: that he he played a similar character just a year later and as good as it gets, but
3: yeah, that's true. Getting typecast, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um I yeah, I, he would be either of the, the two main ones. I only want well, Nicolas n- Cage, and I thought yeah. Nicolas Cage would be Kimmy's dad, because I could see Nick Nicolas Cage now running a baseball team.
3: Philip Bosco. Yeah, he in the savages? He was. He was in every '90s movie. He he played. It's thing yeah, that I he he played. He was in some Woody Allen movies. He played Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen's butler in It Takes Two.
1: That's what I recognize him from. Yes. No. No joke. That I was like, I know this face. That's probably where he's
3: most well known. It. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. That's what I. That's where. Yep.
3: But see, I kind of like him as Papa Joe, but maybe the M. Emmett Walsh from like Blood Simple, you know, the kind of predecessor to, you know. um, Vincenzo. uh, Yeah. (laughs) The kind of the predecessor to the Harvey Keitel cleaner in Pulp Fiction, like he's just going to clean up everything. And uh, I don't know, actually, Papa Joe really would be the The performance by like um, Philip Baker Hall in this movie that's another one who would Philip Baker Hall play would be a good category for every movie we've watched since he's been in every movie we've watched it feels like and it's kind of curious that he wasn't in this movie
1: Todd who would Nicolas Cage or Greg Kinnear
0: play
2: <laughs> I mean I said Nick Cage would play George so I mean but that would be more back in that, that era right right has Nicolas Cage ever played a gay character you
3: would know Todd you're the expert
2: I don't think so. I honestly can't think of one, so no. I mean, we could
3: could say there was some homoerotic, uh, you know, relationship with him and uh, um, in the most recent one we saw um, with with Javi.
1: Ah, with Javi. Yeah. And Unbearable Way to Massive Talent.
3: I can't remember the name of that movie, so it's just going to be the Javi movie.
1: (laughs) Two dueling Christ figures, which is revolutionary in itself. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I watched that movie again recently. It's brilliant. Um What does Adam think this movie's about? I was gonna say, do we need to talk about what Adam thinks it's about? Because apparently he loves it. (laughs) I didn't have anything. Because I knew we'd seen it. Okay, I I said
2: he's he thinks uh someone falls in love with their best friend's fiance, but they still get married and then uh, divorce soon after, and Hillary Swain comes in to settle the prenuptial agreement and divide <laughs> the assets.
3: Yeah, I thought he thought that it was actually about creme brulee and Jello, and that it was a food movie, <laughs> like Julia and Julia,
1: or, or a Ratatouille. Or yeah,
0: chef. right. <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I, mean, I kind of thought like she was, she was um, Anton Ego in uh, the first, uh, the first scene there. That it was kind of a bad representation of it. Uh, has there ever been, been a catering service? <laughs> has there ever been a titular event that has had less screen time than my best friend's wedding?
3: No, I mean, that's, what's great about the movie. They never show the <laughs> wedding. It's kind of like how at the end of Fargo, they never show Marge Gunderson actually having her kid. Like, again, this is a smart filmmaker. Paul, Paul Hogan is a small, fi- smart filmmaker Paul John, real, Paul John, excuse me, Paul John is a small, is a smart filmmaker. Who and, and by that point, we don't need to see the wedding. That's not the, the, the. I think there's actually symbolism in omitting that from the movie because the most important, heartfelt scenes are the part outside the wedding. Right. That, that, that there's got to be some some reasoning behind that.
1: It's possible. It's possible.
3: You know, Titans quarterback Ronnie Bass. Uh, Ron Bass the screen brilliant screenwriter
1: Sunshine.
3: brilliant screenwriter from this movie not the not the Trevor Lawrence lookalike uh, said that did you guys know that it's he said that um, he, this movie was based on his experience at his friend's wedding. And his friend, I got to look this up because I wrote it down, is named David Brenner. And he's the Academy Award winning editor of Born on the Fourth of July. He said he got the idea from the movie from being. Now, I don't think he was trying to steal David Brenner. I don't think this is Todd's gay mumblecore movie in 1989 when he got married. But I think he said, because this was in the DVD extra that I watched a few times, actually, from the wonderful DVD. Uh, that uh, he got the idea from this movie that uh, something that actually happened sort of similar at his friend's wedding, where I think a woman tried to intervene. But I don't know. I feel feel like there's a lot of like reality in this movie, you know? Like, four-day wedding. It feels like weddings take a long time. It feels like there's a lot of showy parts to it. It, Doesn't this movie kind of remind you, Terry, of when you got married, the same year I got married? I mean, it it doesn't feel too far removed from that. And how many... How many movies other than this movie and sideways are truly about the days leading up to a wedding and, ha- and both have Paul Giamatti in them?
1: I mean, there, there is a Giamatti factor that I'm sure we'll get to at some point here.
3: Yes, we do need to get to that.
1: Yeah. Uh, highest war performance.
2: Dodd. Uh, I said Rachel Griffiths because I love Rachel Griffiths. She's um... One of the best parts of Six Feet Under. She was also in Muriel's Wedding, which I think she should have been nominated for an Oscar for, which also was directed by Paul John. Paul John. Um, another wedding movie, actually, like a couple of years before. But yeah, I mean, she, she... That's thats a role that I haven't seen her play at all in, in here. Like, it's... A, you know, she's she's kind of crazy. Like like Zach said, they're the, the two slutty cousins. Like, yeah, she's one of those. That's not the way I ever would have predicted Richard Griffiths would be in a movie.
3: Yes, the year before Hillary and Jackie, for sure, which is yeah. probably the movie that brought her more fame. But that's an interesting choice that I have respect for. But I, I would want to, I wouldn't, those are like the, my favorite minor characters. I mean, I know we'll get to that category, but like I wish they, I wish she'd had more screen time because in the few scenes that she's in, you definitely want to know more about that character. And you kind of feel like those two characters probably deserve their own movie or spinoff. Yes. All
1: right, Zach, your highest score.
3: Uh, it's a tough one, but I think I got to go with Rupert Everett. Uh, the guy just owns the movie um, and he's so funny and he's so relaxed and uh, it, he's just so likable in a role that I think is is complex because it is kind of playing off. I'm mean, It's not playing off gay stereotypes, but it's a movie. It's a it's a role that would have been, I don't know, kind of tricky to handle in 1997, maybe even trickier in the 2022 remake, I guess. Um, but he's hilarious in the movie, and you know you have to have, you have to you're, you play against type a little bit, and it's hard to imagine someone coming from that serious of background being this funny in the movie, but also not upstaging the other actors. I think he's a great team player in this movie too, and um, he works off the other actors beautifully. Like the scene where he's talking about where he meet he met Julia Roberts in the mental institution he's not upstaging her it's a it's a great kind of comic charismatic moment between two great performers and uh, I, I love him in it although of course Julia Roberts it's hard to imagine anyone else playing that role
1: I love Rupert Everett in it I think it is a very low war performance I think pretty much any any solid British actor could have pulled it off Hugh Grant could have pulled that off in 1997 I mean there you could pull Pretty much any British actor with some acting chops in and be able to pull off that role. Yeah, he's but Pierce they Brosnan. wouldn't have been
3: as good. They wouldn't have been as good, though. They wouldn't have been as natural. Hugh Grant, or as Hugh funny Grant or would have as... nailed
1: it just as good as Rupert Everett did.
3: Hugh Grant would have been too neurotic. That character is not neurotic.
2: Can't you see Pierce Brosnan have done that? Like that was totally like he, Mrs. Delphire type of Pierce Brosnan.
1: That's a
3: little like... closer, and I and he's a little older, but I still like Rupert Everett. Rupert
1: Everett was forty. I mean. <laughs> He was oh. a man. He was forty. Yes. All right. My my highest. Mike war... Gundy as as There we go. go. Yes. Uh, my highest war. I'm going with Cameron Diaz. Um. Good pick. There's, cause, the thing is, there's only one Cameron Diaz. Like no one else, really has ever quite had the persona that Cameron Diaz has been able to pull off on screen of being this drop dead gorgeous bombshell but being the goofball and being so comfortable in her own skin that she could pull anything off and she plays the straight one but she still has those moments like when she's singing the karaoke bar I'm like Cameron Diaz is the only one that could pull off this scene quite like she's doing and um Uh, yeah this is only a few years after the mask which invented her basically and uh yeah this is where and a couple years before there's something about mary like this is like sweet spot the sweet spot cameron diaz of of her entire career so
3: see i think it's funny that you give me shit for any british actor i can think of a million Blonde actresses in their 20s that could have played this role: Drew Barrymore, Kate Hudson, Gwyneth Paltrow, Reese Witherspoon, Mira Sorvino, uh, Alicia Silverstone. I think any of those could have played. it. All of those are yeah. very
2: wrong for that role. All Diaz is a great choice. Like I mean, there's there's no chance any of those could have played it. Mary, maybe Mira Servino, but it still wouldn't be the same.
3: Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow could have played that role. in no. her sleep.
2: she she's she's not Absolutely. bubbly enough.
1: She I mean she wouldn't have been as good as
3: Cameron Diaz but that was my point with with Rupert Everett. I don't know Terry, I think you have it backwards. However, I agree that Cameron Diaz is great in the movie. What I would make if you're if you're going to make the case for Cameron Diaz, what I like about that not so much her, you know, her physical attributes. I like that 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 place that time in her career where she's coming off the mask and you think she's going to be this sultry blonde goddess. And then she go and goes completely in a different direction. Zags toward the coy ingenue. And then goes a completely different direction. But there's something about Mary. I, I just like that it's someone who you can't necessarily pin down. Which I think is kind of interesting about her.
1: Yeah. Good point.
3: And she has to be a bad singer. That's very important.
1: That is true too. And Then she follows this up with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Before yeah. there's something about Mary. I mean, she.
3: And then she's got being John Malkovich in a couple of years. I mean, quietly, a very interesting, somewhat unusual career.
1: And then follows up being John Malkovich with any given Sunday. And then Charlie's. She's great. in
3: she's great in any given Sunday. And, and then Vanilla Sky. Yep. Like quietly. I think she's had a very good career, too. I, I, I don't think her career is that dramatically different than than uh, uh, Julia Roberts. And maybe you could even give her the edge for picking sometimes edgier roles. Like being yeah. John Malkovich, Julie Roberts never did a movie like that.
1: Now she's one. Did you know it, it's been eight years since she's been in a movie? I did
3: see that she makes yeah. wine now, which we should we should be drinking on this episode.
1: There we go. That's what we really should have done. Missed opportunity. All yeah. right. Bill Paxton Memorial Worst Performance of the Film goes to. I'll go first on this one. I didn't really have. I didn't have a lot of great choices for this. I didn't know who, who really to go with, so I went with. Um, this, this was not necessarily a, a bad performance, but more of a, uh, of a missed opportunity. If you're going to cast Chelsea Ross in a movie, um, even a movie with sports scenes in it, and you're just going to make him a priest who doesn't have any lines. He has a line. He has a line. When they're he at has the table. A line. He, it's an uncredited performance. I mean, missed opportunity, man. this guy this guy is a somebody at this point like he's a guy you watch the movie like oh hey hey he's in this the pitcher from major league the the dad and the, the dad and the the guy who gets kicked out of practice in hoosiers i mean he's in all these sports movies and you have a movie about a guy who owns a baseball team and you make him the priest with one line it's uh it it was it was sad to see. So Chelsea That's Ross great. is my worst performance.
3: That's great. In the twenty five years I have watching that movie, I never made that connection. <laughs> That's awesome, Terry. I did not realize he was the angry father in Hoosiers, the one who's like you know who's just getting all in in uh, uh, Norman Dale's face at the he's practice. A,
1: he's the old coach.
3: Yeah, I, th- I thought Norman we do Dale's a, like translate. <laughs> yeah, do 15 I know. I it's t-
1: on ten minutes off. Yeah, go from exactly there. exactly. <laughs>
3: I try to remember the line. Like it's a great line too. He's like, um, "Listen, you're a real fine fellow, but get the hell out of here." It's something along those lines, but such a better written line. It's such a Norman Dale line <laughs> that I'm gonna make that my quote of the day. I'm just gonna backlog that because that was a great line from that movie.
1: All right. Well, Zach, great who's character. your worst performance? Since- oh, it's obviously,
3: obviously Dermot Mulroney. I mean, the guy is stiff. The guy doesn't have charisma. I feel like that's the way that Ronnie Bass, quarterback, wanted the, the uh, character to be. Um, the problem, I guess, is that you know Jules is an intelligent author who has been on a multi-city book tour in this movie. She's 28 years old. She's a food critic. This is and She went to Brown. This is an intelligent person who makes good decisions otherwise in her life. You have to believe that this guy is so special, so unique, so one in a million – that she is willing to not only ruin everybody's life, but put everything in her life on pause to be psychotic for him. And I guess that makes her crazy and, and pawn scum, as he says in the movie, but it's just a little hard to believe for a guy that kind of wouldn't. And I get that he's good looking, and he's a good actor. He was really funny on New Girl when he dated uh, Zoey Deschanel, but I, he's just not very dynamic in this movie. And, and it's a problem.
1: Has there ever been a guy who looks and sounds like, like he's being dubbed with someone else's voice more than Dermot Mulroney
3: <laughs> Alessandro Nivola that's my answer
1: <laughs> I mean every line he gives in this movie it sounds like it's someone else's voice and I don't know why but it just it just does Like it, his voice is like it sounds like it is, all his dialogue was recorded on a sound stage and then they put him in there and he mouthed to his own di- I don't know because it's his voice it just it just doesn't sound like it fits every time he talks. I don't know.
3: He would have been played he also could have been played by Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, I think, would have would have been the better recasting for that, someone with a little bit more range.
1: I think I saw on IMDB that Julia Roberts handpicked Dermot Mulroney and Cameron Diaz for their roles in this movie. Makes sense. Todd, who's your worst performance?
2: Uh so I don't think they're necessarily bad performances. They're all extreme characters. So it's kind of weird to say bad performances. But I'm going to say Julia Roberts. And there's a reason why. And it's because I think that she thinks that she is being Elaine Bennis. Like throughout the entire movie, she is doing that. Like her her, every look on her face, like her her schemes, everything, how she carries herself, she is doing that. And I think she's just copying that, that character, which is why I think the movie is basically like a two part season finale of a 90s sitcom and which is why everyone likes it, which I mean it's not a bad thing. There were some really good ones of those. And uh but I, I think I think Julia Roberts could have been replaced because she's doing some she's doing something that we've seen a lot before.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. Um although I, I would never say Julia was the worst part of this movie, but that's a great comparison to Elaine Bennis. And really this movie is a psychological deep dive in my understanding of women and my appreciation of women. I have always been attracted to that type. Uh, Terry, well, you both know my wife, who I think has some similarities with the Julia Roberts character in this movie. Not the psychotic part, uh, but the talking on the phone all the time and kind of in your face and being loud and brash uh, kind of parts. And uh, I've always appreciated that about her. Um, That's a great comparison with Elaine Bennis. And I think it would have been interesting to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus in this role. I got to cut that part out. She's not going to like that. I call her brash. (laughs) that's not going to go over well.
2: There there are just some times when I I feel like she, she looks so much like Elaine. like uh, when Rupert Everett uh, shows up to like the rehearsal or whatever. And he's like, Oh yeah, she wouldn't let, uh, she wouldn't let this be a thing because this is her day. And then she's in the background and she has that big old like, smile on her face like that is she did it the exact same way that elaine smiles every time that she's not the focus of that scene it's like i'm just like geez i feel like i'm watching side film
3: but she never did the whole get out or the dance missing both of those but otherwise i otherwise i can see it um yeah
1: amazing larry big tim high roller minor character of the film award goes to who zach
3: Well, here's the problem is that my minor character is also my favorite scene, but I can choose several scenes. So I'm just going to start my rant here about our old friend, Mr. PG, Paul Giamatti. Look, listen.
2: I mean. Giamatti, not Paul John.
3: That's right. Not Paul John and not the Paul Giamatti that sold his soul in Cold Souls. The, The real life Paul Giamatti. So, I mean, I love this character and I love that scene. Okay. Um. Just a, a great minor character, not listed in the main credits. And we talked about our old friend Paul Giamatti last week or two weeks ago on uh, Donnie Brasco. But this is such a better role for him. And this scene... still can't
1: say his name.
3: <laughs>
1: What's you... his name? Isn't it... Br- Brasco.
3: Brasco. Excuse me. All right.
1: Well, it's not, it's not like his brass.
3: <laughs> What's his name? His real name in that movie is like Joe, right? It's not even. It's not even a real name. It's
1: Joe. Yeah, Joe Pistone, right? Isn't yeah. That it? yeah yeah
3: anyway paul giamatti i don't oh his name's richard in this movie just so we're clear an asshole non-asshole named richard wasn't that our thing for a while one of the few good richards out there
1: um but dicks are dicks is that the thing
3: yeah remember we said that (laughs) there are a lot of shitty richard people um uh, so uh, richard the the the, the bellboy is uh that's a great scene That's a beautiful scene that occurs at a crucial time of the movie when she uh, is finally starting to acknowledge the evilness of her ways. She says, I am I am dangerous. I am menace. I'm a menace to society. And he comes to her and, and gives that beautiful speech and says, just like my grandma says. Uh, Although I think it's said in in like 25 other places too, this too shall pass Uh, in a wonderful moment. he, He takes the drag of the cigarette. I have a very funny conspiracy theory about him that I want to bring up a little bit later. But he is far and away in a movie with some very good minor characters, the best minor character. He blew his chance, though, you know. He, he was probably having the internal monologue in his head. He forgot to go to the bathroom and say, you know, give himself the pep talk in the bathroom so he, he could have gone and asked her out. But uh, like Miles does. But uh, yeah, it didn't happen. Ble- blew his chance just like Miles did.
1: All right. Todd?
2: Um, I, I, I'm i going to say Paul Adelstein as the brunch guest. Damn you. A, of course, Kellerman from Kellerman. Prison Break. He's at the top of the table and like it He's a groomsman. What He
1: is a grou- He is an wow. uncredited groomsman.
2: What's up with those eyebrows? That's what I want to know. Like did there's I was just I saw him I was like that's Kellerman and then I saw it again I was like that's definitely Kellerman. What's up with those eyebrows? And then he was like my favorite part of that scene because he does eventually start singing but it's a while after. <laughs> he, he he forgets that he's like the uh, directly across from the camera. <laughs> he's definitely in the middle of the screen. <laughs> Do you guys realize
3: that Michael and Kimmy are kind of losers? I mean, what is with the fact that they can't find people in their lives to be part of their wedding? I mean, Jesus, is it that hard? Like you got to, first of all, you got to go to your, your future husband's female friend and then your younger brother. And then two other guys who are never even mentioned in the movie, except for this is the first time anyone anywhere has ever talked about that character, Todd. So Paul Paul Adelstein,
1: I could totally see him being another beat writer. Like that's oh, what maybe. he looks a like. to me. magazine. That's yeah. a good.
3: That's a good conspiracy theory. I like that.
1: Like, he, hes someone who he like. He's his roommate on the road. Maybe as, he covers the White Sox around.
3: Maybe well, no. Michael covers Texas sports because he goes to College Station. So maybe maybe um, that that guy is more like the Baylor guy or something.
1: Yeah, that he he looks like he looks like he should be a sports writer. That was my pick. Um, kind of like Schefter.
2: He's like the Schefter in the movie. Like when he pops up in the longest yard. It's like that's the Paul Atkinson part. <laughs>
1: My, uh, all right, so I'll, I'll. I'll punt and I'll go to somebody else. I'm gonna go with uh,
3: that really was your minor character. That that, was that's because it was so many many of a minor character that so so he doesn't even have screen time. There's no shot of him in the movie. He just shares it well, he shares it with other people. No, he's he's also he's also at like the rehearsal.
1: He's like, he's he's at the he's at the yeah, he's at the brunch, then he's at the rehearsal dinner, and he's he's a groomsman.
3: Well, he's in the movie for sure, he's in
1: the movie. Now, uh, I, this happened a lot on when we were doing our Barry Sideshow, too. I would uh, I, I my uh, minor character would always end up being the one that I would go, oh, hey, that guy, he's in it. And that and that's how, what I was thinking with Paul Edelstein. So I'll go to my other one, which is uh, Jonathan P.E. Rice, uh, um, the uh, author at the uh, reading uh, his uh, book at the oh. book read that George is at, played by Harry Shearer.
3: Harry Shearer. Yeah, oh, that's a good call. Why is um, Harry Scherer <laughs> like reading a I book? Don't like that's know. such a
1: random scene. Like, Harry Scherer, what well, that, I that wanna, was. A great I want to know why. Why his? I mean, he he's in just like that tiny little bit. Why does he have a character name that specific? I want to know what is behind this character name of Jonathan P. E. Rice. Why? What is the significance of that name? Jonathan Price? I mean, it, I don't know. Per Rice. Per Rice? <laughs> why does why Harry Shearer have such a specific name? It makes no sense.
2: That's a great choice.
1: That is a good call. And the thing
2: is,
3: first of all, did you guys know that Harry Shearer is like one of seven people in the world to have seen The Day the Clown Cried with the, the Jerry Lewis movie?
1: We've heard this on the podcast before. Okay. That's I'm a good sorry. Point he would also I, play your father in a movie. That's
3: <laughs> true. And he was also... Most memorably, uh, Derek Small's bass, guitar, and vocals for Spinal Tap, and which I, I've always thought was his best role. But ma- maybe that's what it really was, was a Spinal Tap uh, uh, autobiography. That he, he also
1: used. plays about 20 different roles in The Simpsons.
3: That's true, too. All
1: right. got to speed this up a little bit. We'll do Stickman and Douchebag together, and we're going to Todd.
2: Okay. Uh, my Stickman... I'm going with uh, the Elvis impersonator at the wedding because he's, you know, no pictures, no pictures. And uh, my douchebag is definitely the chef at the beginning because he says to the waiter, I'm gonna kill your whole family if you don't get this right. And I mean- Damn it, Todd, come on. But it's uh, a douchebag-ish.
3: You (laughs) stole mine. Obviously that's a great call. Damn it.
1: That's a great call. (laughs) Um, all right. I I didn't really come up with a with a good stick man, uh. But I will say, just looking here, I don't remember this character at all. But apparently, on IMDb, it's the character is listed twice, played by the same guy named Joe howe as Cigar Sommelier. If you're a Cigar Sommelier, I'm gonna say you're a stick man. I don't remember this character at all, but apparently he. It was so nice they had to list him twice in the uncredited section of the uh, of the cast. Um and my uh my douchebag, I mean my douchebag, if there's ever going to be a female douchebag, it's Jules. So that's that's what I'm going with.
2: Yeah, I wrote her down too.
1: Zach. Yeah. Yeah, I mean
3: good picks. You could really go with Jules for the biggest stick man in the movie too, stick woman. The rear stick woman of the movie. Because actually the the women in this movie are a lot more promiscuous than the men. And uh, uh uh, Cameron Diaz has that line where she says, and Michael told me about all those men and it, how much it must have hurt. Uh, that's some real stick men, uh, qu- high quality dialogue right there. You do have the slutty cousins somewhat by negated by Kimmy, who apparently is a virgin. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but I think you absolutely have to go with Jules for the biggest stick man. Um, in terms of the biggest douchebag, damn it, Todd, you, you stole mine um i think though let's see could we go with anybody else i mean i think it's a little bit the 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 woman that so everybody thinks that it's well okay no that's not good i was going to say the woman that that shoves the microphone up cameron diaz's face at the karaoke bar but that's only exacerbated by julia roberts so i think she's also the biggest douche as well she's just the biggest everything in this
1: movie i should have paired this one with it but i forgot to the uh, Robert Forster Memorial Most Punchable Face, uh, to me, goes to Scotty. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris Masterson. It's Chris Masterson. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, it, if he grows up to be on that '70s show, he he's gonna have the most punchable face. Anybody else have anything different? Um,
2: I have Mary Pat Green as Angry Woman. Uh, she's in like the bathroom She's the waitress in Triple X And uh, she, she really is annoying In her one scene My best son's part. <laughs>
3: So my wife was watching this with me And the scene where they walk in the karaoke bar There is a woman that goes right in front of them And does the whole big wave I don't know if you guys remember that My wife was obsessed with finding out Who this random cameo was And her conspiracy theory is that is the mom on Euphoria I don't know the name of that actress I'll have to look her up but uh, it took her like forty-five minutes of, of good internet research, deep diving, and it's it's not on the credits, so it qualifies as a conspiracy theory. There we go. Great work.
1: All right, Zach. Awesome. Best scene.
3: Best scene. Okay, so I've already picked the Paul Giamatti scene. I'm going to go though with my other favorite scene from this movie, which is the bathroom confrontation scene. Okay, uh, aforementioned by Todd. Great scene. I mean, we're talking. The 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 characters have reached their boiling points. Kimmy finally uh, recognizes and acknowledges Julia Roberts's devious motives, and you know it's just a hilarious scene. You big-haired, two-faced food critic, as if you know being a food critic is such a. But everybody in the bathroom like responds. By the way. Does that happen in a woman's bathroom when two women go at each other? Someone actually shouts catfight? Because I, I thought that would only happen in the movies. I don't know the level of realism uh, for that moment. But, Tweet uh, us
2: if, that's, if that, that these If are that has things things ever happened to you, let <laughs> us exactly. know. Exactly.
3: Call into the show. We'll put you on. Um, <laughs> listen, I mean, and, and the dialogue is so great, too, because... Yeah, in a lesser movie this would have been a lengthy this, this movie this happens at what the 145 minute mark of this movie we're like okay let's get going let we let's get to the wedding here a, a, a lesser movie would have made that a 10 second uh uh stretched out sequence maybe the filmmaker of uh you know honk, honk pray love or honk for jesus would have done it but <laughs> the the thing that's great about what she says Did is you say honk pray love <laughs> Isn't that the name of it? <laughs> that was the, I guess, the Julia Roberts version of it. Anyway, uh, she says her, her response is so great. She says, I kissed him. I tried to get him. I lost. Kimmy, I want to go walk you to, to the man that we both love because he sure wants to marry you. Great moment, great line. Ronnie Bass, the quarterback, also a great writer. Just let's get that, let's get those lines really short and succinct, so we can get to the wedding, race you to the altar, as George says. Uh, great, great scene. Kimmy, Kimmy. I know I've said that on the podcast whenever I mentioned this Hodderberg movie. Now you guys know the reference.
2: What what I love about that scene is, like, the way she's saying those things, she's like, yeah, you know, like, I, you know, did this, I did this. Like, she's saying it, so matter of fact, as if she's stating her points, but they're just, like, how horrible she is. That just shows how much of a bitch she is and how she's manipulative. She's, like, trying to be, which is one of the times you're just like, no, she is absolutely psychotic. Movie scenes like that don't work except for that one. That's
3: the only example of a scene where the crowd gets into it also, I guess the, car- the the scene where they're all singing at the rehearsal brunch. But th- this movie is the only movie to pull off crowd scenes authentically. I feel like when the crowd gets involved and it turns into, uh, you know, A performance art or something. Yeah, nineteen ninety seven performance art.
1: All right, Todd, what's the best scene? Um,
2: I really, I really like the karaoke scene because yes. that, that's sort of the scene Great where. Film. I mean, I think Dermot Ro- Mulroney is really good in that scene because that look on his face is like, "What the hell is this?" When she's singing, and but then you start to see, just like, "Wow, I kind of dig this," and like, "Wow, she's really going for it." And then even even Jules is like taken by it, like, "Wow, she is so unbelievably likable." And like, because she says later, like, "You know, if I and if I didn't like her, I would kill her," or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something, whatever, some version of that. The those words. Uh, but yeah, it's I, I mean, they- the karaoke scene is a great scene.
3: This would have been too easy of a trivia question, so I'll ask it to Terry. Terry, do you remember the song that Cameron Diaz sings at the karaoke bar?
1: Oh, um
3: I thought that might come up. I mean, it's too I would have gotten it, but it's it's not a terrible trivia question. Do you know, Todd?
1: I forget which one it is it's now that it...
3: So it's something called I don't know what to do with myself. Don't know just what to do with myself. I've never heard that song in any other context outside this movie. I, I'm not sure if it's actually a real song and also got to say the vocal stylings of Kimberly Wallace, not too dissimilar sounding to Jack White. Just going to throw it out. They're very scratchy, very off key
1: underrated singer. So my favorite scene is the, uh, is the scene um, where with uh, Jules and Michael, on the tennis court with the balloons and scotty and his buddies with the helium tank yes as as they're talking and being serenaded by the helium filled chipmunk sounds of scotty and the boys uh it i don't know why but that their song just made me happy
3: That's all, that's all, Paul, that's all Paul James, man. That guy's, Paul John, excuse me, great filmmaker. He's got the beautiful balloon shot, the beautiful kind of moving pan shot with, with the sounds. I love how she says at first, hey, would you guys knock it off? Yes, man. That, that's a fun, I, I always laugh a lot at that moment. Um, that's a good pick, Terry. Not the scene I would have thought of, but that's, that's a good one. I mean, there's, there, you could pick it, virtually any scene in this movie. I think the, I think the scene where they're on the boat Gets a little bit too close to chick flick territory for me. I mean, excessively chick flick territory for me. But uh, other than that, pretty much any scene in this movie works. I mean, you could. How about um, you know, say a little prayer for you. What and, and and bury the kudas at the at the seafood restaurant. We didn't pick that scene, but that that's a great scene. That's that's hilarious.
2: I like the scene in the elevator when they're like, you know, yeah, mimicking his snoring. Yes, that's a good scene.
3: He wears Reeboks to dinner. As if that's such a horrible uh, scene.
1: Zach, I feel like you're the only one that knows this movie well enough to have a regal quote for it.
3: Oh, it was the creme brulee, it, creme brulee and Jello. It was going to be Danny Trejo saying, "Creme brulee or Jello?" Something like that. <laughs> Both movie theater staples.
2: Well, no, see, like when, when she says, "I could be Jello," it reminded me of like I like Spider Man. Knocked out. It. it was like almost they said it the almost the same way. I feel like I could be Jello. Could be the
1: uh, okay.
2: Okay. Or Kimmy, because I know yeah, Kimmy's a, Kimmy's voices. a good
3: one. Kimmy, Kimmy. <laughs> so Trisha likes that too. Oh, she she screams good, good. that all the time. Good for Trisha. That's that's a great. My mother also thought that was hilarious too. Like that, that's a great character. Also, probably someone who deserves a spin off in their own movie. The, like the female Rain Man of Comiskey Park. If there were a sequel, <laughs> there we go. That's it, right there. <laughs> Well, we have the answer to that question, Terry, which is that this the new Julia Roberts-George Clooney movie is the sequel to this it movie. It is the it's sequel. It's the exact same premise. Julia, parents Jules ends up going friends. on getting married to right. George
1: Clooney after right. Ocean's Somehow. Eleven. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> they have a kid, and now the, the kid's getting married on some tropical island. Yep. There we go. Todd, did you have anything? No, I didn't have anything written down. All right, flaws, outdated conspiracy theories, go.
3: Okay, so this is the real reason why I wanted to pick this as a deep dive this week, because I watched this movie a couple weeks ago. Okay, here we go. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so nervous to even phrase this question. Okay, so the scene where Jules and uh, Michael are at her, at his uh, future father-in-law's office when she sends the emails, right after she sends the emails. Uh, They rush back to the building and she's like, I can't believe that they're closed. I'm going to find a brick. And she talks about trying to break in. So here's the question I have. Why is she breaking in? What does she need to get to? Do you guys remember that scene?
1: She wants to get in to show him the email.
3: Okay, well, what does she want? Why? Like, what does she want to do with the emails?
1: I mean half the thing half the crap that she does I have no idea why she does it but I, I think she wants to sh- she wrote the email and put it in his saved so that so she, she can, she show, can him show him that this email is typed up and about to be sent okay. without it actually getting sent
3: In other words okay all right Todd do you read the scene in a similar way
1: Yeah basically I mean
2: that, I mean that, that was sort of the point I thought So here is what is curious
3: about this scene. For 25 years, I've watched this movie. And every time I watch that scene, I've always just naturally assumed that she wanted to delete the email. That she suddenly had a change of heart and wanted to rush back to the office in order to preserve the marriage between Michael and Kimmy because she realized the error of her ways. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I thought that. Why did I think that? It is so clear. Because when she's sitting
1: at the desk earlier, she says, no, I don't want to delete it. I don't want to send it. I just need it to be here long enough for him to see it. But but she also says something
3: along the lines of, there's a few things I need to send out in that that scene where she's with Michael. So it makes you think that she does still want to send it. Although I don't entirely disagree with your theory, Terry. The point is, Adam and I read the scene in the same way. I'm like, Adam. What's she trying to do? And Adam said, oh, she wants to delete the email because she cares about her friend. My wife thought I was nuts. Nope. You guys think yeah, I'm nuts. No How, why did I think that for 25 years? Now, listen, I know I know this all sounds very petty and se- s- semantic, but I want to say, I think it, it says something larger about my psychological relationship with beautiful women. I just assume that their motives are all pure, you know, and, and may- maybe this is bec- about me becoming neurotic, but why do I just assume Julia Roberts sees the light of day and, and suddenly wants to save her marriage, their friend's marriage? Why did because I see that for twenty five years? Because she's Julia Roberts, and exactly.
1: You, const- you constantly and a- want to accept the fact that she isn't actually a bitch. Exactly. I think it's a character flaw in me.
3: I just I see the best in people. For 25 years, I thought her motives were you good. You see the team. best
1: in Julia Roberts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you, when you think <laughs> exactly. of her as being an extension
2: of Elaine Bennis, you'll realize that exactly. there's no good in her. Like, I mean, there's no good in any of the characters at Seinfeld. That's why. It... <laughs> a,
3: there's a through line with women I like <laughs> Elaine Bennis, Cher, and Clueless. Jules in this movie and my wife, I think they all I told you. you Clueless and Mike yeah, for Running are yeah. not that far apart. They're they're not that far apart. I, I agree with that. Anyway, you said that was offensive and egregious. Well, I don't. I was probably on something else that way. but no. There. Well, for that was me, like an hour ago. Know.
1: Paul Rudd could have played Michael in nineteen ninety seven and today.
3: Yes. <laughs> conspiracy theory. That's a good conspiracy, conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, maybe maybe that's a future power ranking. Roles Paul Rudd could have played twenty five years ago and today.
3: I had one more thing I wanted to bring up. This was yeah. back to so I'm going to swing back to my Paul Giamatti point. So the ending of this movie, um, you guys know you probably saw on IMDb. Originally, the the ending of this movie was she meets a guy at the wedding who's played by John Corbett. It's not a Greek wedding he's at, by the way. That's maybe that's why they cut the end. Um, but uh that was a joke, bad joke. Uh, They cut cut that ending because the test audiences didn't like it. They didn't like the idea that she would just find someone else randomly at the wedding. So they shot the ending with Rupert Everett. Here's what this ending should have been. Jules is sitting there at the wedding, all depressed, looking at her nails. She suddenly gets the urge to smoke a cigarette. She walks to the back, and guess who's there working his second job on the catering staff? Our man Paul Giamatti. That's where he makes the move. That's where Richard seals the deal and Paul Giamatti goes from PG Paul Giamatti to PG-13 Paul Giamatti.
1: Am I right? Am I right? She goes back there. She doesn't have a light. He pulls out his lighter. Yep. And she says, what are you doing here? And he says, forget about it.
0: (laughs) No. (laughs)
3: No, he says I'm not much of a writer. I'm not much of anything. That's what he's supposed to say.
1: Fully, forget about it. <laughs> also, 1997, when he learned the the using of the usage of that word. I love that conspiracy theory, though. That would have been a that would have been a great ending, but he was a nothing at that time, so nobody cared.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he's still a nothing. Never got his book published. But that's not true. After Sideways, he got. Published.
1: See, I think, I think what really should have happened is in that scene, at the end, you have like a uh, like Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn walk in and crash the wedding, and she takes one of them home. Yeah.
2: There we go. Or have so come, come in with a rocket launcher and be like, "I used to be a bomb guy." <laughs>
1: Oh, man. All right. We've we've completely lost it now. Did anybody else have anything else for this? or Are we moving on? I, I could go another hour with conspiracy theories
3: about this movie. Do you guys I'm know sure what was could. on the TV show when she was uh, death by minibar? <laughs> I didn't realize this until the most recent screening. It was the TV show Fantasy Island where the guy says, the plane, the plane, man. Does this bring a register at all to you? Nope. I, I no, never I, mean, I, remember that.
2: I I. don't know what was playing. Like, I don't know how you figured that out.
3: My wife did, not me. I never would have known that. And uh, it involved consulting uh, people from an older generation and making sure. I'd never heard, but apparently people over 50 know that reference.
1: I watched this movie, movie with my wife too. And she said, oh good, a movie I don't have to think to. So she, uh, <laughs> she sat there and embroidered <laughs> while we watched it. That's that because that's what she thinks of this movie. A popcorn well, movie you don't have to think think while watching.
3: Well, she also stole my Buffalo defense, so I, I don't think <laughs> very much of her right now. <laughs> uh, uh, and we're not talking at all about the Chicago White Sox and how it goes from looking like they play the Cincinnati Reds to the Oakland A's in the same scene randomly, and how this guy owns the White Sox but you know doesn't mind lavishing his daughter with a million dollar wedding. Bad ownership. So in the this 90s. Guy,
1: well, no, I mean, this guy. Uh, if if it's the nineties and he owns the White Sox, it's Jerry Reinsdorf. So obviously, <laughs> this makes perfect sense. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like they don't do that a whole lot anymore. Where the actual team is mentioned in the movies. Like I That's mean, true. if there's professional sport, like in the nineties, that was a thing. It was like I was, you the know, twins. Rod Tickle was a Cardinal, and then you know, Little Big League it was the Twins. It was the Twins, yeah. But like the Indians, you know, Indians the
1: Cubs. Angels in the outfield.
3: Yeah, that's a mm-hmm. great point. No one ever did a Mariners movie, though.
1: Mariners all were all over Little Big League. Yeah. Oh, Griffey like, Griff- run. yeah, Griffey, Randy Johnson, Mags, I know you're a decent human being, but Die Like a Dog. I, it's all over that. We got to deep dive that movie. Dave Magadan. <laughs> Dave Magadan. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
2: He's the cousin of Lou
1: Pinella. Dave Magadan.
2: Yeah. Conspiracy what? theory. I just looked it up. That's what it
1: says. <laughs> <laughs> cousin and godson of Lou Pinella. I I don't even know what to think anymore. It's, yeah, there are no words. <laughs> over <laughs> I I thought all right. I I will say there were a couple like like Tony Phillips was playing left left field in that scene. I did see that. That was like the only player I could actually recognize from what was going on. Anyways, LVP MVP. <laughs> it's time to time to wrap this up. It is really we're out of Lou
3: Pinella conspiracy theories. I think it was time a while ago, but okay. Lou r- relations, family is, relations, conspiracy. This is theory. this
1: is next level degenerate here. All right. Pond, um, both of the
3: low, like pond scum. That's what we <laughs> are right now.
1: <laughs> we're we're the what was it the the the, 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 pus. the pus
3: that infects the mucus that cruds up the the pond scum or the, the fungus. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. I thought I thought exactly. one of
1: the questions was going to be what is jewels, and uh, we were going to. That's how up. you would have you would have phrased the question. And we would have had no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yes.
2: That's a great trivia question <laughs> category. How would Terry f- <laughs> up the phrasing of this question
3: so that we couldn't understand it? Can we do
2: that as a category next time? <laughs>
1: Uh, all right I'll go first LVP MVP my LVP is the credit writers because did you see the list of people in the uncredited section of this including you know Paul Adelstein as one of the groomsmen was uncredited chelsea ross as the priest was uncredited like these guys had like three scenes that weren't just extras they were like legit in the movie uncredited it lvp is the credit writers credit more people uh my mvp is uh ice sculptures of the david statue yeah
3: that's a good one
1: um because uh yeah that was that was something and so it's my mvp God. Uh, my LVP is food critics. I,
2: I don't know why I wrote that. Just because I think it was sort of like you know, like the I don't know the panhandlers in 25th Hour get a real f- job sort of thing. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, in it, my MVP, I have Cameron Diaz because I think she is a she's the best part of this movie and she she's what makes it work because you really genuinely like her because she is Cameron Diaz. Zach,
3: my LVP of this movie is cigarettes. <clears throat> It's gonna kill you. Um, this was. I was inter-
1: gonna say my LVP was gonna be smoking and non-smoking sections.
3: Yeah, I mean, this. Do you guys remember when smoking was a thing in movies? I kind of, I, I kind of miss that era. You
1: remember when smoking was a thing? Period. Like you'd go into a restaurant, and there would be smoking and non-smoking sections of the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they had a good run. Stupid <laughs> <laughs> <Super>
2: pro's trailer. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah we're reviewing that 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 has some real potential it does i like when he's at the when he's at the gym and trying to lift the weight that was that's some good physical acting rupert everett probably could have done this in this movie what's your mvp mvp uh sorry was um cell phones and email not a lot in 1997 movies, but featuring prominently in this movie, although, albeit pretty hilariously outdated, but I at least appreciate the attempt. Very critical to the movie. Um, yeah, stolen bread trucks, too.
1: That's that's a big part of the movie. Quote of the daytime. Uh, we'll start with Todd. Uh,
2: mine comes from the best romantic comedy of 1997. It's Chase and Amy. And Jay, Jay says it, and he says... He thinks just because he doesn't say anything, it'll make some huge impact when he actually does open his f- mouth. And
1: I think that <laughs> describes me as a person. <laughs> well played. Well played. Uh, I'll go next. I'll, I'll I'll save the last one for Zach for his movie. Uh, my quote uh, comes from uh, uh, my uh, my new Michael in 2022, Glenn Powell uh who uh and it's actually a really cool quote. Uh he was interviewed uh at one point in the uh in the Top Gun Maverick like press tour and apparently he was originally up for rooster and lost out to Miles Teller and they said they wanted him for hangman and he was going to say no. And Tom Cruise called him up and convinced him to do it and he and he said what kind of career do you want? And he said I want a career like yours, Tom and Tom said, and I so this is actually a Tom Cruise quote. He said, No, 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 don't pick great roles, pick great movies and make the roles great. I just thought that was a really well,
3: cool damn quote. it, Terry. You upstaged me, Jesus. I had a stupid <laughs> line. Okay, that's kind of profound. <laughs> Isn't is that Especially great? The that's context a context of Tom Cruise.
1: I know Tom, that that's that's Tom Cruise. That that Tom, and so because of that, that quote, Glenn Powell is hangman.
3: Did you ever hear the story about Tom Cruise at the football game with uh, Adam Carolla and Jimmy Kimmel and Cousin Sal, and he broke up a fight between Adam and Cousin Sal? No. You you know what I'm talking about, right, Todd?
2: I mean, I've heard about it, yeah. All
3: right, it's a funny YouTube clip. Anyway, my my favorite quote's pretty short. Um, My favorite quote uh, comes from my best friend's wedding, and it's when um, Julianne is bringing George into the church, uh, introducing him as her fiancé, And uh, Kimmy is just so ecstatic, and she's jumping up and down, and she says, this is just so, 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 so. And he says, against God's plan. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a great line on so many different levels. Uh, Again, Ronnie Bass, Sunshine, he's the real MVP of this movie. Uh, Just great, great witty dialogue. And that that is a perfect line. That describes this podcast, which, as as Honk Kray Love would also say, against uh, God's plan is what we are. Is that what I called it Honk Prey Love? That that would have been a much better title.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm
2: glad we were able to do this together.